Yeah, this is the time that we all been waiting on. The moment all the naysayers been hating on. See, they've been talking down on us and flexing. It'll take more than that for you to stop a Houston Texan. A lot of teams talking tough and can't back it up. But not the boys on Kirby so you can pack it up. Reliant Stadium is where you can find us with the whole city of Houston Texas standing behind us. See, we've been waiting on this one for 10 years. Sacrificing our bodies with blood, sweat, and tears. But now we're focused and we're showing no fear. When we blast through the tunnel, you hear the crowd cheer. Deep steel, blue, rowdy red, on the Liberty White. We came dressed up and ready to fight. We are the mighty Houston, Texas, and we don't play. So now I guess there's only one thing to say, baby. All right, guys, welcome to another edition of Texans Unfiltered, a Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans. I am young Ari Golden. I am joined by my buddy, my friend, the reporter for the for uh, Stampede Blue, Zach Hicks, favorite of the Texans podcast. I mean, everybody loves you. This is like their most like this is like their favorite episode. It's either this or Jordan Palmer. Uh, that's good to hear. That's good. I thought you forgot my name for a second because you paused there when you were trying to say Colts reporter. I was like, oh shit. No, I was <laughs> trying to think of Stampede Blue, but I always like I don't ever like think of you like that. I just think of you as Zach. So like then when I think about like where you write, I'm like, uh, Stampede Blue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I was about to feel like, oh shit, we gotta do this again. No, no, not the name. No, no, it was more Stampy Blue. I always get it, like, cause there's another one, uh, like that. I don't know, whatever. Anyways, yeah, yeah. Uh, Zach, welcome to uh, to the show. Um, I'm excited to talk to you, dude. Uh, I can't wait. This is like, for me personally, this is my favorite because it's just two buddies talking about football. Which is that's how it should be, um, yeah. but yeah, man, I'm, I'm ready. I want to talk to you about the Colts. Their off season, 2020 off season, they had a big one. Uh, they added some key pieces to an already pretty good roster. Uh, to be honest, biggest question mark probably secondary coming into the season. Uh, then you lose Pierre Desir, um, but then when you look at everything else that was added, you think about the potential of the pass rush. You think about Philip Rivers taking over for Brissett, which some people would say is a downgrade. I think is a massive upgrade. Um, I think it, that offensive line is going to keep him up, and I am. I think he's going to surprise people at how good he's actually going to be. But let's start with the off season. Let's let's go through kind of your key additions, the players that you think are going to make the biggest impact, um, and then just overall your thoughts on the roster and where they're at now. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, starting with the biggest addition. I mean, some people will probably start with trading the first round pick, which is kind of crazy for Chris Ballard, but you know, just upgrading that quarterback position was so key. I mean, Jacoby Brissett, you know, he started off the year fine. Like, there was ups and downs. It, it was okay. Like, it was passable. It was winning football. Uh, but the second half of the year when teams were figuring out, figuring him out, and he had some injury issues too, uh, it, it was just horrible football to watch. I mean, there's no other way to put it. There's no sugarcoating it. It was downright awful football. I mean, you guys, you know, Texans fans, you guys saw how he played on that Thursday night game. Uh, I mean, the Colts' defense is playing admirably, and, and the Colts' offense could only run the ball for, like, three yards a rush that whole game, and it was just – there was no passing attack. It, it was brutal, you know, for, for most of last year with the passing game. Uh, they were 31st, I think, in explosive play percentage. Yep. Uh, and, you know, Phillip Rivers is a guy who – he's not going to come in and, and chuck the ball down the field and be this elite arm, you know, that he was when he was younger. But, you know, the key with Phillip Rivers is this offense doesn't need someone to be an elite quarterback. You know, they need a guy – who can get that ball out of his hands quickly, who can distribute it to these playmakers and let them do things in, in space. You know, they got guys like Naeem Hines 
Paris Campbell, T.Y. Hilton. Uh, Zach Pascal had a great season last year. I mean, you guys saw it uh, the first game where he had yep. his first 100-yard game against you guys. Uh, so they have a lot of good playmakers. You know, I'm not going to say it's the best playmakers in the league, but they have a lot of good playmakers. Uh, they just need a guy who can get the ball out of his hands, and Brissett just wasn't able to do that last year. He was very passive, uh, really struggled to get the ball out, and it kind of really hurt the Colts' offense. So getting a guy like Rivers and getting him behind an offensive line, you know, last year I think Rivers – was in the bottom five in the league. I think he, like time to throw was like 2.1 seconds or 2.2 seconds. The Colts last year were second best in the NFL with 2.93 seconds of throw. Which um, is an insane you know, amount of time. Insane. And part of it was because Brissett would just, you know, throw guys off him half the time. That was sure. the one great thing about Jacob Brissett that I'm going to miss is, I mean, he probably had the most forced missed tackles on the team last year if you, if you count up all those. He's but, a big dude, too. Oh, God, he's a tank He's dude, a big dude. So. I definitely did appreciate that ability of his, but, you know, overall, I think just getting a guy like Rivers who understands, you know, you know, get the ball to the running back, get the ball in space to these guys and, and let these guys make some plays. You know, maybe it doesn't have to be, you know, 40-yard pass down the field because he doesn't have that velocity anymore. But, you know, just, just getting the ball out with anticipation, knowing where to get the ball to his playmakers and, and letting them do things in space, I mean, I, I think we're going to see just a much better offense overall behind Rivers than – what we saw with Cobra said. So just upgrading that quarterback was the number one need. And, you know, whether it was Rivers, you know, Brady was out there, Newton, Dalton even, like they just needed somebody who could get the ball out to these receivers to, to make plays. I mean, it was frustrating last year for everybody. Uh, and I think just getting guy like Rivers, who, who has experience with Reich and Sirianni, uh, who has played in this type of offense before, uh, who's already developing great chemistry with T.Y. Hilton so far. I mean, I, I just think it's going to be a really good fit. You know, we might not see, like, 2018 numbers from Rivers, but I think we'll see a much better season than what he had last year. Uh, just, I'm not going to say it's more help, but better offensive line uh, coaching staff that can really tailor to his needs. I think it's going to be a good fit. And I think like the weapons, like uh, while yes, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are are, are obviously, I would say probably both both are better receivers than any receiver that you guys have. I know Mike Williams doesn't get a lot of love, but I, I would take Mike Williams and Keenan Allen over T.Y. Hilton and Paris Campbell or T.Y. Hilton and Zach Pascal. Um, yeah. And then, but, you know, Naeem Hines, which I don't think people talk enough about. I don't think they realize how good he is out of the backfield. I don't think they talk about what Phillip Rivers does with running backs out of the backfield. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what he's built his career off of. Um, yeah. And then you got Trey Burton. There's the other tight end. What's his name? Um, Jack Doyle. Yeah, Doyle, who looks yeah. really good. No wonder why Ebron's gone. Um Give me a heart attack there. Jeez. Yeah, that's me. See, this is what happens when I, I come back swimming early for you. Uh, not ready. Uh, that was my alarm to prep for Zach. Um. Dude, that's my alarm for the morning there, and I was like, oh, shit, i got to go to work. You're like, I've been asleep this whole time. <laughs> you ever have that where you, like, like, you know that alarm that, like, oh. you know that one? Oh, yeah. Dude. That was my high school alarm, and anytime I heard it on TV as a kid, I would just get cold chills. Like oh. I would just feel like I had to go to school, and I was like, "Oh shit!" Dude, have you ever you did you ever wait tables or work in the restaurant business? No, I've always been retail. Oh man, so like when like my first job out of high school, I was I was a waiter. But like this nightmare that every waiter has is like they wake up at like three in the morning and they mm-hmm. think that they forgot somebody's drink. <laughs> like, and I still get those. I still get those. I'm like, "Oh shit, that sweet tea." And I just like sit up. I'm like, ah, oh, damn. Um, oh, I screwed the pooch on that one, yeah. man. I, I definitely... um, but anyway, so, so Naeem Hines, Trey Burton, you know, Zach Doyle, uh, and then you got Michael Pittman, you know, who 
I yeah. I like Michael Pittman. I the last place I wanted him to go because you guys really lacked that type of wide receiver. Yeah, uh, goes to the Colts. Uh, I think on offense, and then you talk about the offensive line. I I I think possibly the best offensive line in football. Um, yeah, I, I really don't think you can you can say another team has a better offensive line. I'm trying to think. I can't think of a team that has a better offensive line. Maybe what Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, maybe. Uh, I, I would probably put the Saints over them pretty clearly. Saints, okay. Uh, okay. I yeah, mean, Saints. Raiders are up there. Uh, they do. They have a really good line. And Eagles before Brandon Brooks injury would probably be up there as well. But with Brooks injury, and you know they're starting Dillard at left tackle, who was iffy last year. Yeah, I mean the Colts are definitely top five for sure. Like you know you can't put five better yeah. than them. I mean even with Glowinski, who's probably more league average. I mean sure. you're talking about. You know, just on the left side, you have like a top ten, top twelve tackle in Costanzo, top two guard in, in Nelson, top three or four center in Ryan Kelly, and then the right tackle is probably a top ten, top eleven right tackle as well. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a damn good offensive line. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, last year they had the seventh best rushing attack in the NFL, while having like the thirtieth best passing attack. So, completely one dimensional team. You know exactly what's coming at you, and they still have the seventh best rushing attack in the NFL. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a pounding offense line. I mean, they'll they'll put you in the dirt for a lot of the game. Yeah, and then so you take that into account, and then you upgrade Brissett, who just never looked comfortable. To me, yeah. that was really what it boiled down to. It seemed like he just yeah. never was comfortable behind the offensive line. Just wasn't comfortable with the playbook. Didn't seem to have the chemistry with the receivers. Looked like he like forgot his mechanics multiple times. Uh, yeah. Just didn't look like you know the quarterback that we we saw personally in New England destroy us, right? So and in week seven destroy you guys. Correct, right? So <laughs> it's like one time he looked comfortable. <laughs> that was the only game, but he looked comfortable. He was dropping dimes, but then yeah. out of nowhere. Um, so you add you upgrade with Philip Rivers, and look, I'm a Philip Rivers fan. I've always liked Philip Rivers' game. I like who he is as a person. I like that dog mentality he has. Like it's very rare you see yeah. a quarterback have that dog mentality on the field, and Philip Rivers yeah. definitely has that dog mentality on the field, and he's a leader. Yeah, no, I love Philip Rivers, and honestly, you know, I'm not trying to lie. I'm not going to lie to myself. You know, I, I didn't grow up a Colts fan, so I'm not like this hyper Colts, you know, biased fan right here. But the way that I see it is, you know, you go from probably a bottom five quarterback in the NFL, and and or starting quarterback in the NFL, not overall quarterback, and, and Jacoby Say. So Jacoby Say, you could say is probably what 27th, 28th ranked quarterback in the yeah, NFL. Yeah, fair. I think that's fair, you know, and that's probably me being a little generous. Some other people might see that's being a little hard on him, but whatever. Like 28th. Low 20s, or uh, high 20s. Uh, you go to a guy like Phillip Rivers, and I think, you know, you're upgrading to more of a league average type guy. Maybe like the 15th, 16th, 17th overall quarterback. And, you know, it's not a huge jump, but when you're talking about quarterback play on a team that went 7-9 and nine last year and was, you know, really close in a couple games. I mean, they had Brian Hoyer start basically two games last year, yep. uh, you know, which were two losses. So, I mean, basically you're going from bottom of the barrel – quarterback play to league average, I think that's a huge difference. And that's not even talk about the other additions they made without really making too many subtractions. So, yeah, I, I think this Rivers at addition is going to be huge, even though he might not put up, like, these historic or, or like, league high numbers. He's going to put up good enough numbers to where, you know, this good team around him can actually play to their strengths and win. Yep. No, I agree. So then when you look at the offense, uh, you, you have all those things. But then the part that's always scared me about the Colts, and it's not like the the talent on that side of the ball jumps out at me. It's yeah. more about Eberflus and the defense that it's just schematically 
Eberflus is up there with the rest of them, in my opinion. I wouldn't be surprised after this season if he's a head coach candidate. He's just he, – he, he's so good. And then you add DeForest Buckner and everything yeah. else that was done in the offseason, and you're just like, okay, so you have Darius Leonard, DeForest Buckner. Like, you have great linebackers. Yeah. Uh, Malik Bobby Hooker, who has never hit on a season but has always had the talent to hit. You know, Kenny Moore, like – there's so much talent there, but they're not like superstars. But then you add in Eberflus, and any one of those guys could have a superstar season. Yeah, and the thing with Eberflus is, you know, he's frustrating at times. There are times where he gets a little too much in his ways as a zone. You know, he calls a lot of zone defense, and there's times where it's not working. You know, the Tampa game last year, the, the Saints game last year were, were big issues, especially when Kenny Moore didn't play. But – you know, I feel like a lot of Colts fans and a lot of people around the league just don't understand how good of a coordinator he is. I mean, if you, if you look at 2018, for instance, right? In 2018, the Colts had no pass rush. They had no – like, if you look at the front four, that front four was was creating no pass rush. I mean, Danico Autry had 11 sacks, but a lot of those were covered sacks. Uh, there was there was really no pass rush whatsoever. Uh, but the, the way that he created pressure – you know, Darius Leonard had like six or seven sacks that year. Uh, he And I think Jabal Sheard had like five and a half, even though he had no juice left as a pass rusher. The way that he creates pass rush with, you know, the utilization of stunts and spies and uh, just zero blitzes on third down. I mean, he knows when to turn it up to be aggressive and he knows when to sit back and, and play his zone. He's a great coach. I mean, I've talked to a good bit of their players. You know, Anthony Walker, I talked to this offseason, uh, Kamoko Ture, Ben Banigou, a lot of their, their, you know, younger guys. And they all praise him. I mean, Eberflus is a really good coach. They all praise him. Uh, he knows what he's doing. He's a hard coach in practice, really gets on these guys. And he definitely plays the Texans really well. I mean, he, I mean, Deshaun gets a couple big plays on us every time. Uh, but you rarely see Deshaun Watson rattled uh, like he is against the Colts, you know, these last two years, I think. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's a great coach for this team. And then when you add a guy like DeForest Buckner who – you know, he might not be on the level of like an Aaron Donner, Aaron Donald, or even like a Fletcher Cox, but you know, you, you, what you get with him is this uber athlete, this elite athlete with elite size, great strength, who's a good pass rusher, uh, and just has like all the hustle in the world too. I mean, this guy will run players down 30 yards down the field, and he's been all pro twice. I mean, what two-time all pro guys running guys down the field? You know, 20 20 yards down the field. Uh, so I think he just fits everything that the Colts want, and they're going to utilize him in such a way where, you know, he's not going to have to hold or eat gaps much for the Colts. You know, much of what he's going to have to do is just shoot gaps and, yep. and create penetration. You know, we saw Marcus Hunt in 2018 have a career year. I think he had five sacks and, and looked really good throughout the whole season uh, just doing that, you know, just shooting gaps. And Marcus Hunt is not even an ounce of the talent in his body that DeForest Buckner has. Uh, so I think when you get a guy like Buckner who can – play that three-tech, and just be told, hey, you know, you're this elite athlete with elite size, great hands, you know, all you have to do is shoot gaps and create havoc in the backfield. That's going to be a role that he's going to thrive in. And I think Eberflu is going to put him in so many great positions to where he's going to have an outstanding season. Uh, so I think that addition right there, I mean, even though giving up a first-round pick and paying him top dollar is a lot, he's just going to do so many wonders for this defense that I, I think it's, you know, it's well worth it. Yeah, and I also think, like, when you look at the quarterbacks that tend to be, like, the most successful, like, top-tier quarterbacks in the league now, they're, they're, you can't come from the edge. You have to create an interior pass rush to be able to collapse that pocket. If you're coming on the edge, they're able to slip you. Deshaun can slip you. Mahomes can slip you. Lamar can slip you. Russell can slip you. Most of these athletic quarterbacks can slip you, and if you can get an interior pass rush, you're creating an issue because then they're not able to step up. So 
when I when I think of DeForest Buckner and what he can do with Eberflus, I think it's going to be really interesting because I while I understand that people love the San Francisco 49ers uh, defensive coordinator, they thought he was just this amazing guy. You got to look at the talent that he has on defensive yeah. on the defensive line. Like I don't really know how much credit he actually gets when you have five guys who literally could generate ten sacks on any other team that they're on. I mean, yeah. literally. Um, so then you put him with Eberflus, and it's like, okay, this defensive mastermind that really can get the most out of Buckner. Then you look at guys that can take second, this next step, Rocky Asin, who we both were high on last year, coming into yeah. the draft. And then, you know, up and down season, not not what you expected, but he's a rookie corner every he rookie He finished corner. really strong. He did he finish really strong. really strong. He So the first, I mean, I had all the stats here, but like the first nine weeks, you know, it was up and down. You know, he had that Denver game that yep. was atrocious uh, where he had a bunch of penalties. Yep. Uh, and he gave a couple touchdowns. But the second half of the year, he didn't give up any touchdowns. Um, and I have all the stats. You know, he had no missed tackles, had a bunch of runs. He had, like, fourth in the league in run stops for corners. Uh, and then you look at his pass coverage. I mean, he was barely targeted, uh, had, like, four or five pass breakups as well. So he played really well down the stretch. And I, I think that's remarkable to see a young corner have such a horrible game like he did against the Broncos. I mean, he had, like, five pounds. He was awful. Awful. Like, I, he only gave up 70 yards to Sutton, but he gave up, like, 250 in penalty yards. Yeah. So, like, it was it was a horrible game. And after that, he became, like, the Colts' number one corner. And it made that decision easier to get rid of, you know, a guy like Pierre Desir even. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there, he can take the next step. Bobby Okariki uh, was Pro Football Focus's number one graded rookie linebacker last year, uh, which people, you know, don't talk about because, you know, Devin Bush and, and Devin White. But Okariki was a stud last year. He was Anthony Walker is a stud. Yeah, Anthony Walker had a really good season. Uh, he could take a next step. Kari Willis. Uh, uh, I was just going to bring him up. so much about him recently. Him and Kari Malik. Willis, what are you saying? If Malik can get going, him and yeah. Malik, oh, my God. Yeah. Well, Kari Willis last year, I was writing about this the other day. Uh, he finished 11th in the league among safeties in total stops, right, with like 26 or 27. And he did that on like half the snaps to everybody in the top 20. So he did it on, like, 250 snaps. Jeez. Uh, his run-stop percentage was, like, third among safeties. Like, he – I mean, he's, he's just a stud. At, like, if he can develop more of a pass coverage type, like, where he can just make plays in pass coverage, you know, from pass deflections, obviously interceptions and such like that, uh, he, he's going to be a stud. Like, he's going to be, like, a Pro Bowl safety in this league. I mean, he's he's already, like, a Kenny Vaccaro-type, like, damn good run-defending safety. Like, if he can just take that next step as a pass – coverage guy like he's gonna be a stud and then you know another guy when I'm talking about yet is, is Kamoko Ture right who was an absolute superstar early last year I mean last yep. year he was the most disruptive and most like probably the best defender on the Colts team I mean I think he only had like 60 pass rush snap or like 80 pass rush snaps I think it was 81 and he had like 18 pressures or something or 15 pressures through like 80 pass rush <laughs> like snaps like it was insane uh, so that's another guy they're, they're getting back and they have really high hopes for. So, yeah, there's a lot of, like, what-ifs with this defense. But the one thing that they really did a good job with is, you know, you have your, your Turres, your Rocky Sins, like all these guys that, you know, need to take that next step, obviously, and kind of continue their play. But then on top of that, you got guys like Darius Leonard, DeForest Buckner, Justin Houston, Kenny Moore, those guys who you know are going to come out and be effective. Like, even at their worst, they're still really good players. So it's a really nice balance. And if you can just hit on a couple of those young guys – you have what could be a really good defense this year for the Colts. I mean, they were top 15 last year in DVOA before those last four games with Kenny out, and they were kind of out of the playoffs. So it's kind of tough to really judge those games. Right. Uh, they were top 15 DVOA, and that's without guys like DeForest Buckner on the team and, and uh, Turry out for the whole year. So obviously there's a lot that could change with that. So 
Yeah, I, I'm really excited for this defense. You know, some people are saying it could be like a top five unit. I think that's a little egregious, but uh, I think, you know, top ten unit, maybe, you know, lower end of top ten, maybe top five if everything hits. I mean, everything would have to hit for that, but yeah, I think I think it's going to be a good unit. I think they're, they finally have the players and personnel they want on that defense, and for the most part, they have the depth they want there to be really effective. So with so with TJ Carey, Xavier Rhodes, you got Rocky Sin and Kenny Moore. I mean, where do you see? How do you see the secondary lining up? Yeah, so safety, I'm not too concerned. Um, Malik Hooker was up and down last year, and it definitely is some cause for concern. Uh, his tackling wasn't great. He had some poor angles and coverage, but you know, overall, he's still a pretty solid player. Kari Willis, like we just said, I mean, I think he's a stud. Uh, Julian Blackman and, and, and George Odom are going to be really good depth there at safety. And even Tavon Wilson, who they just signed, I think is pretty good depth. Um, my biggest concern, like 100% biggest concern, it's not really slot corner because they got Kenny Moore and they got Isaiah Rogers and they got uh, TJ Carey there at slot corner. But their outside cornerback depth with Marvell Tell opting out is painful <laughs> right now. It's it's painful. Like, it's it's Rockison. Uh, Xavier Rhodes, who struggled a lot last year, you know, like, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You know, he had a rough season last year. Bad. And then, you know, Kenny's going to jump out there sometimes. But it's basically those two. And then, you know, they signed Traymond Smith, I think, from who was a free agent, like, kick returner guy. Um, yeah, I, I, I they got to bring in another guy up there at outside corner. The, the depth is not great, and I think they're putting a lot of – reliance on Xavier Rhodes bouncing back, maybe not to his, like, all-pro self, but bouncing back to being a decent corner. Uh, that's my biggest concern right there, is they really don't have the depth there at outside corner. Uh, you know, obviously, Marvell Tell was supposed to be that guy who slid in there uh, at that third outside corner and kind of gave you, like, a young guy you're grooming, but also a guy you can play at a pretty decent level. Uh, but with him opting out, it, it's just really pitiful out there on the outside corner depth. So that could be the one spot that really hurts them. Luckily, they run a lot of zone, and their corners are really typically in those, like, shallow zones. So right. the corner – I'm not going to say cornerback doesn't matter for this team, but it's not as much of emphasis as this for, like, a team like Seattle or, or other type of teams, you know, that run, like, press man and, and deep zones. Uh, but it, it's definitely a worrisome thing that, that I'm keeping my eye on. I, I really think they need to at least get another guy in there who's played some meaningful snaps, you know, maybe, like, someone like Ross Cockrell who's out there um, – uh, there's a couple other guys out there that I can't even think of, right? Morris Clay, even Morris Claiborne, who wasn't great last year. Just get somebody out there who's played meaningful snaps uh, just for depth. But, you know, overall, besides that, I, I do like this defense a lot. I'm just really nervous about that depth at outside corner. And and also, you know, if Rose is still what he was last year, uh, which wasn't great, uh, that could be a major cause for concern because you don't really have someone else you can just throw into that spot. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I mean, the good thing is, though, about the, the secondary is you guys don't have DeAndre Hopkins to worry about anymore. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, the, the division, honestly, like, like there's a lot of good receivers, but there's no, like... There's not, like, a shutdown, like, amazing wide receiver. Yeah, there's no there's no stud receiver. I mean, you guys have a really... Oh, we have a good wide receiving core. Really interesting group. Like, it's a really fun... Inter- like, was it Cooks, Fuller, Sills, and Cobb, right? Yep. Yeah, that that's super fun. Like, that that's, like, my type of Madden team that I would put together. I mean, they're all 4-3 all minus Cobb. Cobb yeah. was like four four two or something. Yeah, and then Jacksonville's could be good, but I don't really think Minshew is going to be that great. So. I think he's Case Keenum. Yeah, he's not going to be. Like, that's his ceiling. I don't believe in it. I, I like the receiving group, though. I mean, they got what, West but he's Hook. a great follow. Like, he's a great, like, he's yeah. He's an American hero when he has the mic in front of him. Yeah, but they got, what, Westbrook, Chenault, DJ Shark. And, and Chark, which is, you know, Chark's a stud. So. Yeah. 
even even Coles had some moments in the league too. So yeah, they, I mean they got a good group, and then the Titans got Davis and AJ Brown, which are it's fine. And Adam Humphreys. Um, yeah, so I mean it's a, it's a good division for I mean the only one I'd call the star is like Ty Hilton against the Texans. Like that's the only one I'd really call like a superstar. <laughs> and even this, last year Ty Hilton really wasn't a superstar against you guys with all the injuries. But a lot of that also had to do with Brissett too. Like you know. Uh, they really had no chemistry. But, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what our secondary looks like as far as, like, who plays slot. If it's Bradley oh. Roby playing slot, then I actually think he can stick with T.Y. Um, yeah. he's, got, he's, got the quick, he's got the quickness to be able to stick with T.Y. and the shiftiness. Um, he's, a, he's able to get physical at the, at the line. Um, yeah, yeah. we'll have to see. It's going to be interesting this year. I think it's going to be a good battle in the AC South. I, I really like three of the teams, not, not the Jaguars. Jaguars are not going to be... Very good this year. I mean, they just had half their defensive line, like, retire. Yeah. Today? today? <laughs> they had Aaron Lynch retire. They had um, Rodney Gunter retire. Um, wow. Somebody else, somebody else got cut or something. Like, I don't know. It was, it was, like, three guys, like, all left or something today. <laughs> and they're going to ship off Ngakwe. They lost Calais Campbell. Yeah, Ngakwe's not playing this year. I don't know what they're doing with that. Like, uh, why are they not? Just trade them for whatever you can get, like. I mean, unless it's like less than a third, because you're going to get a third from him regardless. But like, you know, if you can get, if you're getting offered seconds, which I'm sure they're getting offered seconds, like. Well, we thought that about Clowney, and Clowney didn't get offered any seconds. That's true. And I'd take Clowney over Nagakwe. Well, go sign him. He's out there. Uh, Why? There's rumors that we've talked to him. I think what oh man, do Titans fans are getting so hyped about getting him? I'm like, I don't think he's going to Titans. I don't think he's going to the Titans either. I actually think he either goes to you or us. That's that's it. I don't think there's any talk. There's no really conversation with him going to the Colts. Unfortunately, I would be. In, I'd be interested. Obviously, we talked about that last year. Oh, we talk. I think we talked about it every ago. time we talked. We talked about two years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, we so Bill O'Brien has had conversations with him. I don't know if they're going to go anywhere, but I mean, he can't cost much now. Dude, he wants. He still wants that seventeen. He can't get that now. Yeah, but he still wants it. Like I don't. Like he's not budging. He's not going to sit out the season. Yeah, the, all that's going to do is impact his next contract. Yeah. I think he signed because, like, was there reports that he was willing to sign for like ten million with the Eagles? I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, all right. So thoughts on the Texans? What are your? Th- I mean, obviously, let's start with the DeAndre. We and you haven't actually talked since the DeAndre. I mean, we've talked, but we haven't talked about it specifically. So yeah. give me your yeah. thoughts on, on the DeAndre Hopkins trade. You know, do you honestly think it's as bad as the national media portrayed it? Um, or you tell me. I think they definitely could have gotten more. Okay. Like, I mean, obviously I wasn't in the room when they were making calls, so but like it feels more of like a impulse thing. Like he just took the first offer that was given to him instead of like really shopping him. Because I, I know that you feel higher on David Johnson than probably like ninety percent of people do across the league right now. Um, but I like David just because I like David. Like I like yeah. like like how you are with your players, right? It's it's so yeah. hard, it's so hard to yeah. talk to those guys and get to know them as people, which is the part that I think people don't realize. Like mm-hmm. you are talking to another human being, so once you talk to another human being, you form a relationship. It's going to be very hard for you to have any of those negative feelings that everybody else has. Plus, I I loved David in 2016 and 2018. Yeah. Like I thought he is a, I think he is a great running back. If he can be that, not even 16. I don't think 16s possible but if he could be 18 yeah if he could be 18 and give us 1400 yards 
I'm fine with it, but go ahead. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, David, I, I get I get where you're going. Yeah, you know, David had a rough year last year. It wasn't great. Uh, definitely looked washed at times. Uh, there was definitely some clips and moments out there that went out that looked washed. And the second-round pick is kind of, man, that's tough for a top receiver, especially in a passing game. Like, I, I know David Johnson catches the ball out of the backfield, uh, but man, it does not replace that production whatsoever. I, I do like – what they did to get Cobb and, and Brandon Cooks, you know, to kind of supplement that, you know, to like, okay, we're getting rid of the superstar receiver. Let's get a bunch of pieces that can be really good together. Um, I did like that, but yeah, I, I thought that trade was a little crazy. I mean, I still think it's a little crazy. I don't even mind them trading him, you know, like if he really had that big issue with Bill O'Brien, he really had that big issue with the team and it, he even went as far as saying like I might hold out or I'm not going to extend or something like that. You know, I, I'm not too privy to the conversation in the building, but you know, if any of that happened, I don't mind trading him. But I just feel like you know, in such a passing league for a top tier receiver, like I feel like they could have got more than a second in a you know a really highly paid running back coming off of a rough year. You know. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we've talked about it a lot on the pod. So um, mm-hmm. after the Chiefs game. He uh, walked into the locker room, stood on a table, and told everybody that he's sick of this fucking bullshit, tired of fucking losing, and he wants the fuck out. And then got off the table, threw his, all his stuff, left the left, and that was that. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't mind trading him after that. Like, I really don't. I don't like, know what you can do once once a player does yeah. that. I really don't yeah. know what you can do. But yeah. you still want to get like- the most back. Like, are you telling me the Ravens wouldn't have offered their first rounder for that? So supposedly the yeah. Eagles were willing to give a first round pick. Yeah, or the Eagle like, I don't know, like you couldn't have got a first rounder for him. Like, but he wants twenty million dollars. The Eagles can't. The Eagles are in the worst cap position in the world. They can't extend him. Oh, they can make it work. The Chiefs had one hundred twenty dollars to their name yeah. to start this off. <laughs> but they they're also a little different. <laughs> you know, they they're, they're built different. They, they <laughs> I mean, they got Mahomes. Like they they got him for like the cheapest quarterback deal that you can have this year and like next year. It. I can't. Believe he signed such a long. Oh my god, dude! A team can never will never be that lucky again. No, never. And like, the deal itself is just a bad deal for a player. Um, never es- sign a contract that long, especially oh when you're the best. Like, like okay, subpar. Like Kirk Cousins, sign it. Like totally makes sense. When you're the best in the league, you have all the bargaining power you need. Like, just sign two-year deals. I would, I would have lebron it. I would have signed one-year deals each year, just yeah. like LeBron. And I would have kept pressure on the on this franchise. Hey, surround me with talent or I will leave. Yeah. And honestly, like, if you're the Chiefs, too, like, he's that good to where it's like, okay, yeah, we'll give you whatever you want. Exactly. Like, every year. We'll make you the highest-paid quarterback every single year. Like, you deserve it. And so, fully guaranteed. Like, I would be like, here, I'll play every year. $40 million. We'll sign a new year every deal. I want it fully guaranteed every year. Who would say yeah. no? I'd say, yeah, I'd, I'd do an heartbeat with Mahomes. Right. I'd do an heartbeat with a top seven quarterback. I'd do it with Deshaun. I'd do it with Deshaun and heartbeat, yeah, yeah, easily. easily. So I, I don't know why he would do that, and maybe he is really just this good dude that people say he is, and he's really about the team and all this other stuff. But, you know, I know he has, like, that stuff where, like, they have to pick it up the year before and all this. But yeah, I'm picking it up every year. <laughs> there's going to be something in the contract where if he does get hurt or something, they're they're going to I, – I don't know. I the Dude, contract hurt, never. I'm still keeping that contract. I'm still keeping him on that contract. But the contract, it depends on the. What if he gets the Teddy B? Yeah, I mean, it's something like that. Yeah, right. Sure. But, but, like, 
the contract always favors the franchise. It never favors the player. What was it, like 13 years, right? Or what Ten. Was it again? Ten years. Oh Ten years, $500 million. Ten years, that is such a steal for an organization. Because in three years now, he won't be the high, like he won't be the highest paid quarterback when Dak gets paid. Uh, yeah, he won't be the highest paid quarterback when Deshaun signs in a couple weeks. When Dak, Deshaun, when you know all these guys get paid, like when Lamar's contract comes up, he won't like he'll be like the tenth highest paid quarterback soon enough. Yep. Like that's how it goes. But that's how Brady was. Yeah, yeah. But Brady always did it in like one year deals for like ten million. Yeah. But then he got, like, every other endorsement possible. So Well, and his wife made more than, like, twice as much as him. Yeah, it's, not, it's kind of nothing to him. Um, all right, so DeAndre Hopkins gone. Um, you know, you said you like the wide receiving core. Yeah, um, yeah. And, oh, and, and I do like your guys' offensive line, which people don't talk about enough. Thank um, you. Yes. did so much. I'm so proud of the Texans, man. I am so, like, given to get Tonsolio, you guys had to give up a lot. Is what it is. Yeah, he, he's damn good, so whatever. Um, Gotta protect was a very pleasant surprise last year. Super. Uh, Howard was good when he was healthy last year. Yep. Uh, you know, Martin actually had his best year. No. Yeah. Best year. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, he isn't he currently still the highest paid center in football? He is. Yep. Yeah. Soon to be broken by Ryan Kelly. But Correct. Like, yeah. So yeah, he saw it, and you guys still have uh, Fulton at left guard, right? He's kind of like our Glowinski. He's your Glowinski. Yeah. Yeah. Really high potential with your guys' offensive line. I really All young, like too. Uh, Sharping, if he can take that next step, and Howard can stay healthy and, and take another step as well. I mean, that's that's a damn – I mean, that's definitely the second-best line in the, in the division for sure. Hands down. Um, yeah, like, I would borderline take it over the Titans right now. Based off of potential? I, honestly, I might take it. Yeah, I think I would take it over the Titans right now. Like, because Tunsil and Luan is probably like a wash. Yep. Really? You think a wash? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Stafford's probably better. I mean, Stafford struggled at the beginning of the year, but he was good down the stretch. And he's also old. Yeah, he's old. Um, Martin's the better center between the two. Right guard, left guard, or right guard and right tackle, I take. Yeah, so I think you guys have a better line than the Titans. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, I really like, I mean, just going from, like, a laughing stock in the league for years at offensive line, now it's like, you know, if everyone stays healthy, like, that's a pretty good offensive line. Well, it's the first time that we've had in the Bill O'Brien era the same five players back. Yeah. At, uh, at uh, on the offensive line, so that's going to be big. Um, but you're right, like Max Sharping, nobody's going to talk about him because he's a small school guy that nobody knew anything about. Was solid last year. Is only going to get better. Titus was Sharping, great. Absolutely. Sorry to interrupt, but Sharping, uh, I watched Melvin Ingram destroy Mark Lewinsky in Week One. Like was throwing Mark Lewinsky around. Um, then I watched you got. I think you guys played the Chargers last year. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You guys. I saw that game. And he was holding his own against Ingram, and nobody holds their own against Ingram. Nope. And I was like, oh, shit, Sharpen's good. <laughs> go go back and watch it and watch Ingram try to hit Titus with his yeah. spin. Yeah. Stonewalled. Ah, oh, dude, I, I remember I watched, so I watched a little of that game because I was like, I want to see how good their line is. And I was like, oh, shit, they're good. Yeah. <laughs> the Texans, we can't like we can't laugh at your guys' line anymore. We're just going to have to line up Buckner over Fulton all game. That's probably what we're going to have to do. Yeah. That's impressive. Last year, last year watching uh, our guys against you, like Houston was our best pass rusher because Terry was out uh, for most of the year, but Houston was the best pass rusher. And when he went against Tunsil, dude, nothing, like absolutely nothing. For I mean, even though Houston, they got two sacks in their first matchup. Uh, when he tried to rush straight up against Tunsil, no push whatsoever. Like Tunsil was locking him up. So and, and Tunsil got there like four days before the season started. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, your guys' line's good. I, I like your guys' line. I think it can, it can get up to being like a top ten group in the league this year. I really think 
Um, the line's really good. Uh, I like aspects of your defense. Uh, linebacker group is solid. Oh, uh, super solid. Yeah, J.J. Watt is, if he's healthy again, like, fucking great. Yep. Um, what is it, what Charles Menehue? I mean, Martin had a good season last year. I like what Martin does for you guys. Who else you guys got on the Charles. defense line? I think you guys lost Reader. Charles. Charles. Oh, Menehue? Yep. Yeah, I do like Charles Menehue. Long, long arms. Who you guys arms. got, like, as your base down, base down interior? Brandon Dunn. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's fine. Oh, yeah, he was solid. Yeah, he's great against the run. Not going to give you any any push in the pocket, but I mean, solid against the run. Uh, yeah. But we did. We also took Ross Blacklock. Yeah, Blacklock's okay. He's interesting too. Uh, he had some. His tape was was yeah. a little inconsistent. He was hit or miss. He has room to grow. Like he he has time, so yep. he'll he'll be fine. Uh, and then secondary is really intriguing for you guys. Mm. Uh, I like Reed a lot. Oh, I loved him in the draft class he came out, and I love Justin. I mean, speaking of guys I loved, I mean, Gary on Conley has a top, like, six player in his draft class. I absolutely loved Gary on Conley. Like, that was my, like, I think it was, like, my second or third highest-ranked corner, like, ever at that point. <laughs> like, I loved him so much as a prospect, and I hated when he went to Oakland because that was a horrible fit for him. And then you guys let him play more man last year, and I was so excited. I mean, even though he locked up um, in the second matchup, Pascal was on a roll, and then he was on Pascal for a lot of the game and just locked him up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like what Conley did, did for you guys last year. So I'm happy to see him in a good situation, even though it's, you know, it's against the Colts a bunch. But I really like Conley. And then uh, Lonnie Johnson, funny story about Lonnie Johnson, uh, the Colts were going to draft him last year, or two years ago, whatever it was. Yeah, two I remember you telling me about this. Colts were going to draft him, uh, but at pick 34 – they didn't think Rocky Sin was going to be there. Uh, they, they were planning on going someone else at 34, and then I think they were going to take Lonnie at their next second-round pick. Um, but they decided to go with Rocky Sin uh, because they didn't think he was going to be there. But Lonnie was really high on their board, and they really did like Lonnie as well. So uh, Lonnie's a good player, uh, another just man-corner guy. You guys probably play a lot of man, don't you? With now we do. Yeah, that's good. Which is all we've, we've been screaming it for a while. All we played pretty much was zone when we had Bouye and Joseph and Kareem because none of those guys could play. Man, now with Conley, mm-hmm. Roby, Lonnie, uh, the, our fifth round or fourth round pick, uh, John Reed out of Penn State, um, <clears throat> very physical guy, probably be our slot guy in the next year or two. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we have all man guys. If you put Conley in zone or Roby in zone, it's over. Yeah. They just can't play zone. But, um, yeah, and then Lonnie, I mean, Lonnie's worked a lot. It's almost as if he – so at first, during the offseason, he was working a lot with the Footwork King. Then Antonio Cromartie, we interviewed Antonio Cromartie. So we, I interviewed Lonnie, too, like two weeks before Antonio, and I sent it over to Lonnie, and he said that he's been told the entire time it's his footwork, it's his footwork, and Antonio was like, no, he's got to be able to get a little bit lower. And he's so mm-hmm. tall that it's hard for him to be able to gain leverage yeah. because he's 6'2". Yeah. So he's supposedly been working on that, and he looks great so far in camp. Um, so yeah, I mean the potential for a good secondary. I mean, I love Justin Reed. I don't, I don't have any. I, I want to see him play more single high. Uh, I don't yeah, want him in the can. box. He can, he can, and he did his rookie year last year. We played him in the box, and he had a ton of tackles, but he also like tore his shoulder like four times or something crazy like that. Yeah, like, I like him in that kind of like hybrid, like rover type position. Like kind of, it, it's kind of like a mid-zone type. I like him kind of hovering a lot around the first down line a bit, like on pass plays and stuff. Like, kind of, 
I don't know. Like, I like him deep, but not too deep, and I don't like him too close to the box. Like, I like him just around where he can be involved in almost any play. Yeah. Um, who's your guy's other safety? Eric you... Murray. Mur- who? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Eric Murray from he, – he was the backup safety to Ron Parker in Kansas City. Yeah, And then okay, he was right. signed by the Browns last year and did nothing. But – Okay. On film, he looks like a great, a great box guy. It looks like he he can okay. maybe cover. He can sit in zone. Um, not going to be able to play much man, but in the box, he's a tackling machine, very physical. Um, but in coverage, he's a liability. Um, okay, so you guys need Reed to play that single high role. Yeah, we're going to need Reed to play single high now. Um, I mean, if you guys are doing a lot of press man, which you should be doing press man a lot with the guys you have, and you have Reed kind of over the top in that single high, I think that's a that's a good formula right there. If you have a pass rush. Yeah, pass, I mean, if JJ's healthy, then it's a good formula. If JJ's JJ, healthy. JJ can do the pass rushing for an entire team. Which is so crazy. <laughs> so good. It's so crazy that that's the case. Because, like, all I've been screaming, uh, I scream all year, like, we got to, we have to get another player. Because, like, if JJ goes down, like, the pass rush is just completely non-existent. Like, yeah, he, like, Amenahu and Martin flashed. Sure. But it's not enough. No, and Whitney, Whitney hasn't flashed in two years. Yeah, dude, that sucks how he's kind of fallen off a little bit. But but when Watt's on the field, like last year through week five, I think he led the league in sacks and forced fumbles, and then Watt got hurt, and then he just disappeared. Most dominant game against the Colts last year from a pass rusher was him against the Colts in week seven. Like, And that was when Brissett was ripping you guys the right. new one. That whole, like, I think he only had one sack in that whole game, but he had like 11 pressures. Yeah. He's and in- it wasn't just against, like he had a couple against Glinski, which are really easy ones. Uh, but it was also against Braden Smith. Uh, he went over against Kelly a couple times and beat Kelly. Like, he was, I mean, whew. Like, it, every single play he was in the backfield. Yeah, he's so good. He's so good. But with Anthony Weaver, you know, not not Romeo Cornell as the defensive coordinator, comes from a Rex Ryan system. So okay. might more be interesting. Might, yeah, it might be interesting to see a little bit more aggressive, exotic blitzes. Um, you know, everybody loves the word exotic in Houston now because they've never seen any. So, um, yeah. You know, it'll be interesting to see what they do schematically because they do have pieces. It's just can those pieces hit. I'm not counting on the pass rush to be there, um, and I think it's going to leave our se- our secondary uh, to to dry because I yeah I, I, if, if 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 that doesn't happen, like Conley's going to look bad, Roby's going to look bad, Lonnie's going to look bad. Like you have to have those two simultaneously for it to work right, and I think it will at times, but. I think it's going to be – this is what I think, and I've been saying this for a while. I think we'll start off really bad on defense. I think it's going to be awful. I think bottom of the league, like, awful. And then I think week eight, week nine, come back from the bye. I think a little bit more – everything starts clicking. People understand kind of the schematics and where they're trying to go. I think then they start to roll. You just have to wonder if the offense is going to be enough to be able to carry it, which it I should, will say should be. They have, to, they have to use a lot of that press man early, even if they're getting beat by it, because that's what these corners are. You they know, all like. Are. You can't be scared to press man because you're not getting a pass rush. Like, yeah, you're, they're going to leave him out to dry at times, but if you get scared and switch it to a zone, like after like three or four weeks of getting beat and press man, like that's more issues are going to arise. I agree. Because zone, you also need a pass rush. You need a pass rush regardless. Yep. Uh, you might give up more big plays if you're doing press man and you don't have a pass rush, but man, you, you got to stick with what these corners can do with your, you know, with what your good fra- uh, single high safety can do back there as well. Uh, you got to put them in positions to succeed. 
Um, and then you just got a schematic, you know, scheme up some pass rushes. I mean, the Colts did a great job of that in 2018 when they had no pass rusher who could really win. I mean, they didn't even have a J.J. Watt type. Right. They had nobody. They had a lot of, you know, Jacob Martins and Charles Menehu types, uh, but a lot of, you know, exotic blitzes and a lot of uh, stunts and stuff like that. You just got to create as much pressure as you can. But the one, yeah, that'll be the biggest thing for them is don't break out of that that press man if it's not working early because that's what these corners are. You know, Lonnie Johnson is not going to benefit from doing a lot of press man three weeks in and then switching to zone. No. Uh, Gary and Conley the same way. He's still a young guy. He's not going to benefit from switching to a primarily zone-heavy defense like after three or four weeks. So uh, that's going to be the big thing for, you know, the Stevens coordinator and you guys to, to really stick to it, you know, stick to that press man throughout the whole year. I agree. No, I agree 100%. Um, all right, so we'll wrap it up. Uh, how do you think the AFC South ends this year? I mean, where do you think it, it goes as far as between Titans, Colts, Texans? Well, I guess let's talk a little bit about Deshaun. I mean, how much do you love Deshaun? Because I remember, I remember <laughs> last year we talked, and you told me Baker Mayfield was a better quarterback than Deshaun Watson. Yeah, yeah. No, I did. I, I liked – well – So we got to go back and visit term. that. I like the long-term potential more of Baker. Still. I, I thought Deshaun was better at the time. Do you still um, think that? And I think as of – no, I don't think that right now. Okay. Baker took a huge step back, uh, and Deshaun did it again, like where he played at this outstanding level. Like I would say – we're talking 2018 was when he played consistently at a really high level for the first time. Like first time. Like he played really well. But that was like the whole year he was outstanding. And I wanted to see one more year of that, you know, to really solidify myself as like, okay, this is who he is. And 2019 was the same thing. So – I think at this point, anyone who's not saying he's the top five quarterback in the NFL is just lying to themselves. Uh, and there are still aspects of me that want to say, like, okay, he could be better at this, he could be better at that. But at the end of the day, he just makes plays. I mean, I, I see the Colts frustrating him like hell. Like, I mean, he is so frustrated against the Colts. Kenny Moore has some of his best games of his career against the Colts – or against the uh, the Texans. Uh, Nico Autry gets a shit ton of pressure. Like, these guys are just frustrating him all game. And then he'll drop – a perfect dime 50 yards down the field and, and fight his way back to tie the game up. And it's like, what the hell, man? Like, we are just beating him into the ground all game, and he's still making plays. Like, he'll throw a dumbass interception and then drive down in three plays and score a touchdown the next drive. I mean, he just has it. You know, like, some part there's parts of football you just can't quantify. And that's it. You know, there, there, there really is. Like, I, I know analytics is the thing with football now, but there are just aspects of football you can't quantify. And a guy like Deshaun Watson, you know, he'll make dumb mistakes. He'll throw bad interceptions. He'll hold the ball way too long in the pocket and, and get sacked or fumble. But at the end of the day, you know, he's one of those guys where if I'm down six, seven points with a minute left in the game, he's one of those three or four guys I want leading my team, you know, and I don't care how good you are regardless, like of like perfect uh, consistency or anything like that. If you can do that for me and you always put me in an ch- opportunity to win, you're a top-tier quarterback. And I, I see that with Deshaun Watson and and obviously not with Baker Mayfield after last year. He didn't put his team into a, into a position to win a lot of games. Uh, but Watson always, like, you know, regardless how good the defense is, regardless how good his playmakers are, there's always a chance to win the game with Deshaun Watson. Uh, and I think that's what separates a good quarterback from a great quarterback. And he's at the point where now he's a great quarterback. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think uh... – I think he's amazing. Um, I think he's only going to get better. I, I wish I could root for him. You know, like I wish he was on the Colts or something. I could root for him. But, yeah, I mean, there's just some plays. I mean, there was a couple throws last year to Kenny Stills against the Colts where it was just like, you know, people want to rip like Rocky Sin apart for And I'm like, dude, that ball is perfect. Like there is nothing he can do. Well, with and Kenny Stills is a great route runner. 
Like, I don't think people realize how good of yeah. a route runner Kenny Stills actually is. Oh, I love Kenny. Kenny Stills is one of the most underrated guys in the league. I, I agree 100%. Like, I think he could potentially be a one, maybe just a, a top tier two. Like, I, yeah. I think he's extremely good. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, he shreds us every time, so, like, I, I respect him a lot. Yeah. So then, like, when you look at um, – oh, God, where was I going to go? I forgot. So you have Deshaun. Okay, so, you know, I, the first time that Deshaun really mentioned – targets into DeAndre was yesterday in a press conference. They asked him how he felt about, like, I guess his favorite play last year was uh, go route to hop for six, is what he said. And then... A couple times against us. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, (laughs) But then, so you said, so now, so the reporter asked him, like, okay, so what is your favorite play coming into this season? And he said, go route to 16, go route to 13, go route to 12, go route to, you know, and he said, you know, when you have DeAndre Hopkins... He's going to take a ton of targets whether you see it or not. He's going to have to have his targets because he's a top-tier wide receiver. Can you honestly make an argument that without that, without Andre, or DeAndre on the field and having the talent around him potentially with Stills, Cooks, Cobb, um, Fuller, you know, the tight ends, the running backs, Duke, which we don't didn't talk about at all. Yeah, he's great. Uh, right. Um, can you can can't you make an argument that this is actually better suited to take advantage of DeAndre's or I mean uh, Deshaun's skill set and that he could be better without DeAndre? I mean, he definitely can make the case. I mean, again, Deshaun can be better every year, so it wouldn't shock me if he got better every single season, regardless of who's around him. But I, I think there's a way that you can make that argument. Uh, you know, having more weapons is never a bad thing. You know, having especially having it spread out. You know, like and there's a there's definitely a school of thought where you know. One superstar receiver makes a makes a receiving group, but also there's you know it's there's a lot of value in having a bunch of really good guys too compared to having that one superstar. Um, I, I do think to a degree though, missing a guy like Hopkins in particular, you know, a guy who can win in doubt, just throw it up to him and he can make a play, uh, or you know, late in the game, you just throw it to him and he can make a couple guys miss and make a huge play. I mean, we saw in that what that Dallas game in 2018 in overtime, uh, you know, guys like Cooks and and Fuller and Stills aren't making that play. You know, and it's it's okay to say that. I mean, Hopkins is an elite receiver in this league. He's a top-tier receiver. So I think there are ways that this does hurt, you know, having that safety blanket. A safety blanket is not only, like, a tight end who goes, like, two yards over the middle. A safety blanket right. can also be your superstar receiver that's like, okay, screw it, I'm going to throw it up to him. Like, we need a play. I'm going to give it to my playmaker. But there is there's definitely having, there's definitely value in having guys like, you know, Cooks, Fuller, Stills, guys who can separate and really get open downfield for a guy like Watson, and you can do it all at the same time. You know, it's it's not just, well, if Hopkins isn't open, we're screwed on this play. Now it's, well, okay, Cooks isn't open, let me go to Stills. If Stills isn't open, let me go to Fuller. So there is definitely value in having a lot of good receivers. Uh, but I think, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting for Deshaun's development to see how he operates without uh, Hopkins. You know, I, I'm not going to be one of those guys who says, you know, he was made by Hopkins or Hopkins made him, you know, anything like that. Like, that's obviously not true. We've seen enough from Deshaun Watson at this point where Hopkins was not the reason why he was a great court, why he is a great quarterback. Um, but I do think, you know, to a degree that does hurt, you know, like what is Matt Ryan without Julio Jones? You know, what is, well, I mean, actually one guy who's actually probably a great example that you could have talked about Stafford. with Deshaun is uh, Matt Stafford after Calvin left and how he got better, you know, like once he got guys like Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay, I mean, the first eight weeks of last year before he got hurt Dude. was the best, was the best Matthew Stafford we ever saw. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, there's arguments both ways. There, there's definitely arguments both ways. Uh, for me, I always like having the best player on the team, you know, having the best player on the field on my team. 
but again, like looking at Stafford and stuff, like there is value in having just it spread out more and having more guys that you can get those targets to. Having guys where like it's okay if Stills gets two targets in this game and then ten targets the next game and stuff like that. You don't have to kind of force feed a guy. So it's, I, I'm really, really intrigued to see how this affects Watson going forward. Not like it's going to be like a horrible negative thing for him. I'm just curious to see how he adjusts without having a guy like Hop into that safety blanket down the field. Well, so like Hop lined up a lot in the slot last year, like a lot. Yeah. I think it was like 58% or something crazy. Um, yeah. we, he's never really had a true slot wide receiver. Now he has Randall Cobb, um, mm-hmm. which while you can say what you want about Randall Cobb, uh, as a pure slot wide receiver, um, he's – Fine, he's he's gonna go out there and do his job. I think he had like 800 yards with the Cowboys last year. Like, yeah, he's good. he's fine. He's fine, right? So you have a reliable target in the most like in like Deshaun's favorite uh, part of the field to throw to in the middle, um, yeah. and then when you have Fuller and Cooks on the outside, like I just I don't know, man. Uh, it, it's gonna be very interesting to see. He's not gonna be bad. Like he's gonna be a top five quarterback again. So Agreed. Like, Agreed. Yeah, like there's anyone who thinks that Hopkins had that big of an impact on him is kind of crazy. Like. It really, like, yes, Hopkins is great and definitely helped Watson, but Watson's great in his own right. Like, it, it's And not also helped Hop. Big. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, you know, it, he's not going to fall off at all. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, Zach, thank you, dude. Appreciate it. Uh, make sure you guys go follow Zach at ZachHicks2 on Twitter. Uh, go to Stampy Blue and follow his writing career, as it is one of the better writing careers uh, going on in the NFL right now. Um, and Zach, anything else you want to say before we go? Any heckles? No. Any jokes? Any anything that you want to get off before we go? Usually, there's something funny that happens every time we talk. So, oh yeah, some news breaks right now. Let's see what we got. Nothing. We got Indiana basketball is not getting the All Star game in 2021. Oh, uh, that's a that's a shame. That's, Bummer, a, dude. That's, that's the huge news break. That's a shame <laughs> right now. That's a shame. No, no, but uh, no, guys. I hope you enjoyed. I mean. You know, I'm a Colts guy, but I love watching just these teams in the NFL. I mean, I think this AFC South is going to be a really good battle this year. Uh, I really, I really, really like what the Texans have done, especially with that offensive line. I'm a big offensive line guy, so I really like what the line they've put in front of Watson, and obviously I love what Watson can do. I think the Colts probably have the best overall team in the division, uh, but, you know, quarterback is more of a hit or miss than it is with the Texans, so that's going to be a, a good thing to watch right there. And then the Titans, you know, obviously are can be another good team as well. I you know, I go back and forth with them on the Texans every single day. Um, Texans roster probably says it's better than me, better than ours right now. Defense definitely scares me a little more with the Texans. I don't know. I, I go back and forth every single day. Watson always gets me, like, thinking. <laughs> you know, it's just Watson, dude. It's I mean, he's is. so good, dude. He's so good. And, like, like when, I, when, I don't like betting against top-tier quarterbacks. Like, never. I, you're not supposed to. Yeah, never bet against, like, I don't know. But – you know, outside of the Jaguars, I think it's going to be a really, really good three-team race in this division. Uh, you know, it's a fairly tough schedule that these teams are playing, too. Like, I think we play the Ravens division, and yep. who do we play in the NFC? Um, I think we play the Packers division this year. Yeah, the Packers division. Is it? Yeah, Packers, Bears, Vikings, and oh, uh, yep, yep, yep. Lions. That's a so, tough one. So, yeah, it's, it's a tough schedule this year for, for our division, so... I think it's going to be a really interesting battle. Uh, those division games are going to be a blast if we get them this year. Uh, I always love watching Colts-Texans, Colts-Titans, so uh, it's going to be a really good battle this year. So I'm just excited for this upcoming season if we get a full season. Uh, and I'm really excited to see, again, Deshaun Watson's you know progress without 
Hopkins. I, that's one of the best storylines in the NFL this year, I think. So I agree. I hope yeah. I hope he has a good year. I hope he has two really really bad games this year, and the rest of the year is pretty good. So. Well, bad games for Deshaun, we can live with. Those aren't even that bad. Yeah. But what was the thing we said a couple years ago? On we said it like two years ago when the Astros were playing the Nationals in oh. the World Series. I said I would gladly trade the Colts losing that Thursday night game yes. for the Nationals for the title. Nationals to win the World Series, and that exactly happened. That's I was like, happened. perfectly fine. That's what that happened. Works for me. All of Houston was hurt, but you know, at the end of the day, um, you guys won the Thursday night game against the Colts. Yeah, and and that was a fun game too. That was a really fun game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, dude. Well, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. Always fun to talk to you. Um, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day on a Monday night, and uh, we will talk soon. Awesome, man. Awesome. They say the two happiest days of a boat owner's life are the day he buys his boat Woo-hoo! and the day he sells it. Sayonara, you worthless tub. At Carefree Boat Club, there's a third happy day, the day he joins the club. Carefree Boat Club gives all the... Woo-hoo! Without the hassles that turn a day on the water into a real pain in the ass. As soon as it turns over, we'll be on our way. At Carefree Boat Club, use a fleet of boats as often as you like. They take care of the maintenance. You take care of the fun. Water skiing to fishing, whatever floats your boat, Carefree Boat Club's got you covered. It's like owning a fleet of boats with none of the worries. Whether you own a boat or have just dreamed of it, come sample the experience of being a Carefree Boat Club member. Call today to schedule a tour of one of Carefree's convenient marina locations. Make all your boating experiences, water skiing to fishing, whatever floats your boat, Carefree Boat Club's got you covered. It's like owning a fleet of boats with none of the worries. Call 851-2202. That's 851-2202. All right, guys, welcome to our continuation of the AFC South uh, preview podcast. Um, I am lucky to be joined today by Phil Smith and James Johnson um, to talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars. Phil, why don't we start with you? Why don't you give them a brief understanding of where they can find you, who you are, and what you do, and uh, and then we'll kick it off to James as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for reaching out. Thanks so much for having us on. We're really excited. We we love doing these like cross promotional things with other teams and getting to talk about, you know, other teams that we don't normally get to cover. So, uh, yeah, my name is Phil Smith. I'm over on Twitter, at PhilThePilipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. I've been a Jaguar fan since their inception in 1995. whole lot of heartbreak in that time, uh, (laughs) which I'm sure we will get to. And then just for the last few years, through the Jaguars Wire, uh, which is the USA Today affiliate of the Jags and the Believe in the Jaguars podcast, slash the Jags End podcast, Jay and I, uh, who's going to speak here in a moment, have just been fortunate enough to cover this team and the wild ride that was 2017 to where we all now, where we are now, which I'm sure 
we will get into. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit about me. I also have another podcast called The Wait For It Podcast, which is a pop culture show. So if you're into video games, anime, movies, all that kind of stuff, make sure to check out, that out. And I've also been doing stand-up comedy for about 10 years now. So I do a little bit of it all. So <laughs> a lot of hats. So we're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to put you on the spot like Kanye did Dave Chappelle the other day and make you uh, make you tell us a joke at some point. So I'm just gonna do it randomly out of nowhere, uh, and I just hope that you can perform uh, unlike Dave was able to. Um, and I notice all the pops in the back. Uh, I see the Infinity yep. Gauntlet. Um, I have. I am a massive pop collector as well. I have 387 nice. Marvel pops. Um, those are the only pops I collect. Uh, we are currently doing for our Patreons a chronological breakdown of each film. Um, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm right there with you. I'll have to give uh, your, awesome. your podcast a listen. Big big into Marvel. Um, well, if it, not to get it ahead of ourselves, but if anybody wants a Jalen Ramsey pop, I've got one. You can you can have it. So. Wow. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it when he signs with us next offseason. Right. <laughs> um, as a rumor, just never seems to die. And then, uh, James Johnson, why don't you introduce yourself, tell us where we can find you on Twitter, and then also kind of, you know, your roles and responsibilities with uh, um, at the USA Today and all that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I can beat Phil's introduction there um, with, with the comedy and everything he does. But, uh, yeah, um, I'm James Johnson, managing managing editor of the Jaguars, where I have been since 2017, as Phil said. So we kind of got lucky from that perspective. We started covering the team on a year that they were good, like one of the only years that they've been good since the decade or, or what have you. So, uh, yeah, I joined them 2017. Phil was one of the first people to join me, if not the first um, and from there, we started the uh, Jags Dan podcast, which evolved into the Believe in Jags podcast. And, uh, you know, that's just been the flagship podcast for the Jaguars Wire. So in terms of the Jaguars Wire, my responsibilities, you know, include editing the site daily, uh, doing the majority of the posts, uh, making sure the podcast is uh, up to par. You know, I, I do some of the scripts and production with that, and Phil shares that responsibility with the production as well. So, uh, you know, in a nutshell, that's, that's what me and him do. Uh, me and him met each other coincidentally at a Jags practice uh, many, many years ago. And uh, since we've been good friends, we met through another mutual friend, and, like, we just kind of took the journalism path uh, from our friendship into the Jaguars uh, fandom, or uh, we, we took that path into becoming journalists as fans, and uh, it's kind of taken off from there. So, yeah, man, that, that's us in a nutshell, both of us, uh, me, Phil, the Jaguars Wire, and the Believe in Jags podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for the introduction and kind of letting our listeners know a little bit about you guys. Um, so let's start. So obviously there was 2017. It's that it's the it's the year that all Jags fans will likely remember at least for the next couple of years, um, you know. And then you know, 2018, you know, not so much. 2019, again, not so much. Uh, but you guys may have found a quarterback, um, maybe potentially. Uh, I don't know what your guys' thoughts are. I've said on our pod multiple times that I think Gardner Minshew's. Ceiling is Case Keenum, um, and I think that that's probably as far as I, what I've seen so far, but I also haven't watched a ton of film. I've only watched them when we played against us, um, but there's a lot of people out there that are a lot higher on him. They, they see a lot more potential 
Um, they talk about his mechanics, and when, when they're there, that he he can he can kind of he can make any throw that you need him to make. Uh, James, I'll start with you. You know, Gardner Minshew, franchise quarterback. Need to see more. Is there potential? What are your what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I definitely need to see more. And um, in the team's defense, that's that's the approach they're taking. Is it this year is their trial year for him to see what he has and, and what have you. And you know, with most quarterbacks, as as is the case with most quarterbacks, the key with Gardner Minshew um, is his relationship with the offensive coordinator. I mean, like, you know, we've all heard that saying that the offensive coordinator is basically uh, the second most important hire on the team, if not the most important hire on the team. And now, uh, you know, they, they brought in Jay Gruden, got rid of Jay, um, John DeFilippo uh, earlier in the year, or they mutually parted ways is how mm-hmm. they put it. Uh, so, you know, Jay Gruden is a guy I think that is a huge key to this equation in terms of answering that question regarding the Minshew. And when you look at Jay Gruden's history in terms of young quarterbacks, he worked with, uh, you know, um, a man with the Minnesota Vikings right now, Kirk Cousins. Uh, he worked with their uh, current quarterback uh, that they have there, um, escaping my mind right now. Um, who was that? Alex Haskins, yeah, yeah, he worked with Haskins as well. So, you know, he has this resume and Andy Dalton, if you go back to his time with the Cincinnati Bengals. So he has this history with making young quarterbacks work because especially for me, I look at his time, especially when he was the offensive coordinator with the Cincinnati Bengals because Andy Dalton was a second-round pick. He wasn't a first-round pick. Um, He had a lot of success with Andy Dalton when he was there. Uh, I think it was three years that they were together. And I think Andy Dalton even had a Pro Bowl year, which, you know, you could take from that what you will with Pro Bowls. You know, sometimes that's more fueled by the fans than anything. But for this second-round kid from TCU uh, to, you know, even put up the performance to get notarized for a Pro Bowl speaks volumes to me. Um, And also, I think A.J. Green, if I'm not mistaken, he went to two or three Pro Bowls under Jay Gruden. And need I remind you, Jay Gruden got him as a rookie, you know, when he was a rookie. So those are the things that I look at in terms of Jay Gruden and that connection with Gardner Minshew and whether or not he can be a franchise quarterback. And when I look at that resume, I do think he can be. It's a matter of if it'll happen or not. So I think it's a time will tell type of thing. You know, I tread lightly with quarterbacks, and Phil will agree with me on this because we've seen our share of quarterbacks in Jacksonville and, you know, you just don't want to get your hopes up on somebody because, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars haven't been able to find that guy at quarterback. So we'll see. I do like that pairing, though, between him and Gruden. And, um, you know, I think some good can come from it, definitely. So let me ask you this. I mean, you know, Doug Marone, what is this? This is his sixth year, fifth year? With the Jags, it's his third, third. as a head coach. Okay. Um, and I think he was there a year or two as the offensive line coach. Offensive line before. coach, yeah. So, yeah, he was, you know, Gus Bradley brought him in. Uh, so I, I think he had been there a year or two before. I think it might have been a year. And then, yeah, so it's his third official year, and it's his fourth year with the Jaguars in general in terms of being on the staff. So what are the thoughts on Doug Marone? Because it seems every year it, it tends to be, you know, uh, or at least last year it seemed to be a, uh, you know, he's on a hot seat. Uh, he brought him back. Now, Doug Marone and Bill O'Brien are really close friends. Um, they've been friends, I think, since Brown or something like that. Um, 
you know, what is the feeling around Doug Marone? Because when you look at the quarterback position, while that is the most important position uh, on a team, everything right. above that has to be in order for that quarterback to succeed. There has to be pieces in place and a, a good coaching staff uh, in place for that quarterback to succeed. Phil, what is the feeling with Doug Marone? Obviously, you know, James has talked about Jay Gruden. Um, you know, is, is can Doug be that guy? Is there stability? You know, you got Tom Coughlin who, what is, you know, what has he really brought since he's been there? It doesn't seem like there's been a lot. Um, so what is the feeling with, with Marone right now? And I guess just upper management in general. Right. And I, I think, and you brought up his name that where, where the problem was right there with Tom Coughlin. And I think the fan base has realized that for a large portion of his tenure, Doug Marone has been handcuffed by the front office, specifically Tom Coughlin and how he wanted to do things. So that being said, now that we're in a place where Dave Caldwell, Doug Marone finally have some semblance of control again, now we get to see exactly what they're capable of. Because there was definitely a time, I think maybe even in 2018, where people were saying, okay, Doug Marone needs to go um, until some of these things about Tom Coughlin started to come to light. And then all of a sudden people pulled that back a little bit because Jaguar Twitter can be very voracious. I'll just put it, I'll put it that way. They can be very aggressive. But I think once they started to do a little bit of a deep dive and understand that maybe he didn't have full control of the team the way that he wanted to, that's when people started to ease up a little bit. Now, that being said, to kind of go back to what Jay's talking about, Gardner Minshew, uh, you know, they've given him the tools offensively to be the guy this year. Now, of course, the offensive line has to come together, which has been a huge problem. But we talked about this in a previous episode, Jay, where the O-line is kind of now one of the longest tenured groups as a, as a whole. Um, so that obviously has to come together. But they invested in weapons for him. They drafted two receivers. They've got DJ Chark now, and then uh, along with everybody else that's returning. And then you also have a guy in Leonard Fournette who is in a contract year who we don't expect to be back, but probably will want to show out for whoever his next team is going to be. So now we get an opportunity to see, I think, fully what Doug Marone is capable of. Is he going to result in wins or a playoff appearance? Not sure, but I think if we see enough progression, then that'll be enough for him to stick around for the long haul. But it also depends on if Dave Caldwell here is here um, next year. So obviously one we can't have one. The success of one depends on the other. So it'll be interesting for sure. Let me ask you this. Um, obviously, we kind of have to talk about Yannick and Ngakwe. Um, you know, there's there was Michael Lombardi put out the tweet that, uh, you know, there's an offer. Dave Caldwell shut that down within, like, an hour. Um, but also a GM is not going to be like, yes, there's absolutely an offer, you know, a, 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 a right. proposal in place. Um, he wants to leverage whatever he can. But, um, I mean, Yannick, a guy who – Homegrown talent drafted in the first round. I would assume Jags fans absolutely love Yannick and what he brings to this team, especially when you look at the Jags' identities in the past. Fierce defensive line that's able to get after the quarterback, uh, and it's coming from all angles. You have the departure of Calais. Uh, you now have you know potentially the departure of Yannick. Um, ideally, you know, or actually, I guess if you were to make a prediction, is Yannick gone? before the season starts. And if you had to pick a team that he's going to, where would you pick that? James, I'll start with you. Yeah, well, what I'll say about Yannick is the thing I have 
the hardest time trying to figure out is when you look at his career earnings as a third-round pick um, and if the Jaguars don't trade him. You know, and look, this this is kind of not my say or, you know, not not for me to say, but uh, when you look at that, the career earnings, like, is it, you know, can he pass up on $17 you know, million dollars a year? You know, can he... That's a you know that's a million dollar check a, a game pretty much and you know for Yannick now I will say this he's such he's one of these players that it's not about the money for him necessarily he loves the game of football he loves working out he loves so on and so forth he loves to be on the field with his teammates all of these good things so you know you you have to weigh that as well that you know money isn't everything for him but his bone with the front office is just how they handled the situation and how they drug their feet. And, you know, like we saw the offer last year that they gave him, according to, I think it was Tom Pellicero. Uh, you know, if you look at the meat and potatoes of that deal, that's a slap in the face. You know, of course that'll make somebody mad if you, you offered uh, the player that has been an exemplary example for the team on the field while you have had issues with other players you know, we don't have to go into, na- you know, names or anything. But, you know, he has exemplified what you would want in terms of a, uh, you know, a exemplary player on the field. So I think I think the Jacksonville Jaguars personally are willing to hold on to him if they don't get what they want because we've seen him with Jalen Ramsey. You know, Shot Khan, if we want to go straight to the top, Shot Khan wasn't going to give Jalen Ramsey up um, until – Basically, they got offered two first-round picks. And at that point, you almost have to. You know what I'm saying? When a team offers you that kind of a bargain, uh, you probably need to jump on it. Uh, but otherwise, Shotcom was probably willing to hold on to Jalen Ramsey. And I think, you know, while the price for Yannick and Gakwe might not be that high, I do think that, you know, that Jalen Ramsey situation made them realize, like, hey, we'll hold on to him until the price is right. And, you know, you know hopefully if we do hold on to him, He'll he'll come back and he'll play for us. We'll see. Time will tell. You know that's ultimately Yannick's decision. But I think that's the approach that they're taking this thing with. You know, if nobody wows them with the with the um, compensation, and Tony Khan said it himself uh, when they had the argument on Twitter, he's like, until I get the compensation, we're not letting you go. So until they get that, they will hold on to Yannick and Gakwe, um, regardless of how the fans feel on it or not. So. I think, like, that'll probably be the key heading forward. You know, will one of these teams around the league blow off their socks uh, and, and make them come up off Yannick, kind of like the Jalen Ramsey situation? So do you think, though, with with the times being different, right, like Jalen Ramsey last year, two first, you know, highest paid corner, new contract at some point, you know, you know, teams making that trade at that point without the issues of the salary cap in the future, they had no idea, no problem. Now, with COVID and the effect on the salary cap potentially, with especially, you know, we're seeing it league-wide, no fans. Do you wonder if that's playing a part in also, you know, not giving up the compensation that you would see for a player of this tier? On top of that, when you look at this situation, it reminds me so much of Jadavian Clowney last year. Almost identical. Um, and we are all sitting here thinking Jadavian's going for a first. I, I, nobody thought we were going to trade him for a third-round pick. Nobody. And the best pick we got was a third-round pick, and Jacob Martin and Barkevius Mingo. Now, you can look back at it and be like, we also got Gary and Conley, and, you know, sure, that's, that's you know, the trade's great, but you, you can't really, you don't know those things are coming. 
Uh, Phil, do you think that with COVID-19 that some of that has kind of changed the approach with some of these other teams when it comes to Yannick Ngakwe? And um, ultimately, I mean, do you think that the Jags can get a first-round pick for him this year? No, it, it's 100%, I think, affecting the market. Absolutely. You make some really, really great points there. And um, it, just like, you know, us from the outside looking in, seeing the compensation that came back for a player of the caliber of Jadavian Clowney is something that Jags fans really need to look at. I think the fact that it didn't happen before or on the day of the draft is, isn't a good sign. For those of us that are hoping that it's going to be a first-round pick, uh, the thought of... However, that being said, as Jay mentioned, um, they're more than willing to just sit on this if they don't get the proper kinds of compensation. They they very much feel that he's not going to miss out on $17 million for a guy, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jay, that's made barely over, what, 3 to $5 million or something like that in his career. How can he go about, you know, sitting out on that type of money? I don't think it would be very smart on his behalf, and he has since changed representation for the second time now, I believe, since this all started. So maybe he is now starting to see the light or something along the lines. Something is about to happen, I think. I, I think the tweet sent out by Lombardi was premature, but I definitely think something is about to happen, whether it be he's going to report or there's going to be a trade. Um, one thing you mentioned I don't think that Jay got to was, do I think it, who it's going to be if he is – eventually traded now with everything going on with college football or lack thereof, I should say, I think there's going to be a premium on, on pass rushers that are proven, um, which is why I think a team like the Jets makes sense that have a lot of compensation. If they still want that first round, that first round tender, which I don't, again, don't know if they're going to get, but I think like the team like the Jets or maybe even Seattle, depending on what happens with them and Clowney, I don't even know if that's still something that's on the table for them anymore, uh, but something along those lines. And now keep in mind though, he also, Kind of, he has to sign off on this. Essentially, he's got to sign the tender, and then hopefully he wants to agree, of course, to a long-term deal. But um, all in all, I do think he is going to end up playing at least for this year with the team. But you know, who's to say something again? Something comes along that does blow their socks off. But at this point, man, it's a first-round pick is hard to it's hard to picture them getting. Yeah, the only reason I don't see them getting a first-round pick anymore is because they can't negotiate a new deal. Uh, the, the deadline's passed. So any team that trades for Yannick is only guaranteed to have him for one more year. They could obviously franchise him, but then they put themselves in the similar situation that the Jags are in. It, not being able to work on a, on a long-term deal is probably the one factor that I think teams see, and, and it scares them. Nobody's going to give up a first-round pick for, for, a, uh, uh, for, a pro, for a player that can't be on the team long-term guaranteed. There's just too much control in Yannick's uh, favor, in my opinion, when it comes to that. So I think Seattle is probably, if I had to, if I had to guess, I would say Seattle is probably going to be the team that lands them. Um, this seems like they're kind of moved, kind of like what they did with, with uh, Clowney last year. Um, but, yeah, very interesting to watch. Um, all right, so we talked about Gardner. We talked about Marone. We talked about uh, Yannick. Uh, I guess a quick question for Texans fans, just so that we can they can hear it from an actual Jags reporter's um, Yannick to the Texans will never happen. Correct. I I don't I don't see that happening. No. Yeah. James. Nah. Uh, Dave Caldwell trading within the division. Thank you know. You. Uh, the, I think the best chance a trade within the division never had was to unload Nick Foles on the Colts. 
And uh, beside that, that I don't know. It's not happening. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. And then, uh, so, I mean, the offseason happened. Let's talk a little bit about the draft, too. You know, what what has t- Jags fans excited about this team, right? Like, ultimately, that's why we watch this. We watch this game to enjoy it, to have some excitement, uh, especially now with everything going on in the world, whether it be uh, the social injustice stuff that is happening and the open, you know, the open racism that is just happening in our country and it's okay, uh, to, you know, COVID-19, Um you know, what do Jag fans have to look forward to in the 2020 season? Or, or is it really more one of those, if we can hit on Gardner, the record really doesn't matter. If we know that we got a guy, then this season is fine. We'll build around it after that. Phil, tell me kind of your thoughts. So, of course, Gardner hinges hugely on the optimism of, of this fan base. And Jay and I have a saying over at the podcast where the Jags are off-season champions. We rule this time of year because everybody is still very optimistic. And they actually do have some things to look forward to. Now, at first, I was a little apprehensive about the C.J. Henderson pick just because I, I felt like there was there were other directions they could have gone. Uh, however, looking at how they're trying to build this team, and again, evident with the Caleb on Chase on pick later on in the first round, you know, they're really trying to reestablish the identity and the locker room culture of that team, uh, which is, uh, again, a reason why just not really understanding the Calais trade. However, that seemed to be a an attempt at a correction of everything that has gone wrong with Tom Coughlin by what they did with Boye and Calais Campbell. Send Calais Campbell to a team with Super Bowl aspirations. Send A.J. Boye to a team that he wanted to go to in the Denver Broncos. I, I think that's that that definitely is what it came down to. And now they have all these new faces that are going to be trying to establish themselves as leaders. Josh Allen, Gardner Minshew, um, Chris Conley has been huge in the locker room. Really, really love that guy. And then Leonard Fournette, who, again, who knows what's going to happen with him. But, again, a guy that really, really loves being here. You talked about the social injustice stuff. He's doing a lot of big things here in the city, and it's, it's great. So to see him be a leader like that is, is really huge. I think – because for me, I am very cautiously optimistic about Gardner. I absolutely hope he's the guy for football purposes and for the sake of the Jags just being, you know, on primetime games. You know, they want to see a guy like Gardner Minshew because he has, you know, national appeal. But at the same time, there is a portion of the fan base that thinks, well, if he's not the guy, just go ahead and be terrible because you got this draft class coming up with Trevor Lawrence, with Justin Fields, uh, the guy from North Dakota State, uh, his name is escaping me right now, but there is an optimism around Gardner, and I know they a lot of people hope that he is the guy, but a lot of people are also excited about Josh Allen um, and, and Kayla Vaughn and what they can do together. C.J. Henderson, of course, comes right down from right down the road. They love drafting their Florida Gator players, uh, even though Jay and I aren't the biggest fan of, of them, but... They love them. Uh, Shaq Quarterman, who I believe, Jay, was a fifth-round pick. Uh, he's right here from, from Jacksonville. He was born and raised here, so that's really, really exciting. So there is an optimism about the team because there's a lot of really, really young talent, and I don't expect that fans are expecting for them to make some kind of playoff run or for it to be 2017 again, but they do expect to see significant improvement for sure. James, what's, uh, I, mean, I guess what's your expectations for the season? I had myself on mute, my bad. Uh, so, yeah, my expectations for the season is roughly anywhere between six to eight wins somewhere. And I'm, I'm still debating 
you know, a lot we, we have to see a lot of how the remainder of training camp goes for this team. Obviously, you know, we had the preseason to look forward to in terms of the games and stuff, but now that even makes it a harder evaluation. Now we got to base this all on practice. But I, I'm guessing from – I think they're – the worst they could be is six wins, and the best they could be is eight wins because, I don't know, when I when I look at this team, I do think that, going back to what I said earlier, the potential of Gardner Minshew and Jay Gruden and looking at Jay Gruden's track record with working with young players, and uh, not only that, but just looking at how they're coming along early in the stages of camp. Now, it's in the early stages again. But, you know, Gardner Minshew and DJ Chark, in their defense, and we need to tread lightly on this, look like a Pro Bowl caliber connection right now. Um, and, and look, the, the reason people should be optimistic about that is because that's what they were last year. Ultimately, uh, DJ Chart did go to the Pro Bowl. And when a small school or a, a small market player like DJ Chart makes it into the Pro Bowl, I think that's telling. Because while, you know, while I did say, you know, it's fan-based, when – a player who doesn't have that national exposure makes it to the Pro Bowl, that means he's been working his behind off. And that means people are beginning to notice him despite the lack of TV time that, you know, the Jaguars are getting and so on and so forth. So that being said, I think that connection is going to be a good one. Um, I've always liked Dave Caldwell. You know, we can say what we want about some of the other aspects of Dave Caldwell's career, but I love what he's done with receivers in terms of finding receivers. He's never struggled with that. And I think the Jaguars' passing game could be sneaky good to the point where, you know, they might could surpass that six-win record that they had last year and uh, maybe shock some people. And then, you know, of course, you know, COVID plays a lot into it, too. You never know, like, the circumstances another team may have to face that might help the Jaguars or it could hurt the Jaguars. You never know. Uh, But that's why I leave that eight-win mark on the table. It's because of the passing game. And that just unknown factor of uh, of what COVID nineteen could uh could provide for the season. Okay. All right. So let's uh let's talk about the Texans a little bit. Um, let's start with the beginning of the off season early in February, just to get it out of the way. So um, DeAndre Hopkins was traded. In case you guys didn't know, uh, we received a second round pick and a and David Johnson. Um, obviously, fans are. Crazy, uh, mad, you know, understandable to an extent. Um, but, you know, time has gone on. Uh, and I think people are seeing the vision of the offense, which I think at first was really hard for people to see, you know, because the offense has always been DeAndre Hopkins. And I don't think people realize that, you know, when that's the case and you bring another talent, you know, you, you can get group production and, and replace that one player. Um, what were your thoughts on the trade uh, originally? And then I guess what are your thoughts on – the Texans offense right now. Uh, Phil, we'll start with you. So, of course, when it happened, um, we were all wondering what the hell was going on. And I think my my thought after that was, what does this mean for Deshaun Watson in an age where you're seeing players have more control than they ever have had? And what does that mean for that guy? If, If you make a move like that, what what are you saying to this superstar quarterback that you guys this you know this guy who Jay and I lobbied for here for a long time even when we still had Blake Bortles we wanted that guy and we ended up with um with Leonard Fournette and that's you know a whole other story but that was my thought process was holy crap what what are they doing over there you know and it's just a long line of questionable decisions 
from Bill O'Brien. Um, and admittedly, I am not real 100% kept up with in terms of what the offense looks like right now. You know, you look at a guy like David Johnson, who at one point was, you know, definitely a, a top back, but recently, you know, hasn't really hasn't necessarily seemed to show out. I, you know, I definitely haven't heard his name too often over the last few years. That being said, when you have a guy like Deshaun Watson, man, <laughs> that guy's almost a, a cheat code, right? Then you can win games with a guy like that, and, and you just kind of hope that, you know, we, we found a guy like that in, in Gardner. But my initial reaction was, man, what does this mean for the future of Deshaun Watson, you know, with the team? James, how about you? Yeah, to kind of, you know, go back on what Phil said, you know, Deshaun Watson is like a human cheat code. And, you know, with me living in Georgia, I'm a Atlanta Falcons fan secondarily. I've seen what Michael Vick could do for a team that wasn't all that talented around him. And that still stands to this day. So, you know, you can never rule them out in terms of what he has to offer. Um, Deshaun Watson I'm talking about here. Um, But um, in terms of... I got sidetracked. What, what was the uh, rest of the question? Just just your overall impression of, you know, the trade uh, and kind of right, your, vision, right. your your thoughts on the offense now. So, yeah, on the trade, me and Phil were texting, as we always do, like when crazy news like this breaks. Uh, <laughs> and, well, my initial reaction was, you know, when I saw the compensation, I was like, uh, is this, like, did somebody get duped? Is this like one of those fake Adam Schefter accounts <laughs> or something? So. I mean, as a as a journalist, that's your first instinct is to make sure that the source wasn't, you know, that is credible or it wasn't, uh, you know, somebody took it for the wrong person or whatever the case may be. After I saw it was the official source, I was happy because from the perspective of DeAndre Hopkins has been a thorn in the Jaguar side for many, many years, even with Jalen Ramsey. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, you know, there were times where Jalen, you know, held him down as well, but for the most part, it feels like DeAndre Hopkins has been that thorn in the Jaguars foot or side or whatever you want to say. So when I saw that, you know, I think, you know, like most Jazz fans, I was pretty happy about that. But at the same time, you know, it's like you said, um, they have this committee approach that they're going to take the Texans now. Uh, Will Fuller, why he hasn't been the healthiest guy, he is a guy that me and Phil – you know, we do respect and we have, you know, we have shown respect for on the on our podcast. And, I mean, the bottom line is, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars, although Hopkins is gone, you know, they still have a really, really young defense, as you could tell by this class. And, you know, the, the Texans still have enough veterans and enough uh, pieces, including Deshaun Watson, to where they could be still issues for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, DeAndre Hopkins leaving the division, while it's, you know, that's great and all for the Jaguars, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it's going to equate to victories for them in those two matchups that they have this year. Yeah. I think uh, originally I've been very patient with Bill O'Brien. I haven't had – you know, we've had him on the show. I, you know, I actually – I think he's a good coach. Uh, I actually up until that point thought he was a great GM. Um Last season, making trades for Garen Conley, grabbing Duke Johnson. Um, you know, he seemed to be making the moves that were needed. He seemed to be aggressive, which is what Texans fans screamed, uh, the Tunsil trade, right? Uh, the only questionable move prior to DeAndre was the Clowney move, and I think a lot of that didn't really 
get talked about. A lot of that whole situation didn't get talked about enough was the fact that Brian Gaines was the GM leading up to past the deadline. So they're really Bill O'Brien's hands were somewhat tied on what he was able to do at that point. Um, and, you know, I think he, he seems to be uh, somewhat of a good uh, talent evaluator when it comes to the draft. So, you know, I tried to be patient, but also, you know, we just got rid of the best player on the team outside of Deshaun. It's like, how can you be happy with the, with the return? And it'll always be the return for me. It won't be anything else. Move DeAndre, that's fine. I'm of the opinion of everybody on the team is able to be traded outside of Deshaun Watson. So if you get the right return, there's really nothing you can do. Um, but now as I start to look and I see like the vision with Brandon Cooks and, you know, the addition of Randall Cobb, you know, Sean's never had a reliable slot wide receiver. His favorite place to throw is in the middle of the field. Add in Randall Cobb, you know, Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller on the outside, you know, good luck with, you know, 4-3 speed. I don't really, you know, if they can stay healthy, it's going to be crazy. Kenny Stills is probably the best number two wide receiver in the league, and yet he's our fifth option. So, Add Duke and David and then an offensive line that's going to take the next step. And then the part that people just don't want to write about or talk about is that basically what Bill O'Brien's doing is banking on Deshaun developing even more, which I don't think is wrong to do. I think Deshaun has shown to this point he's going to develop, he's going to get better, and he's going to take the team where it needs to go. So this is Deshaun's team, and that's pretty much what Bill O'Brien did. So while the trade, you know, will forever be, you know, you see the jokes on Twitter now, huh, any trade any trade rumor that is mentioned, it's like, oh, just call Bill O'Brien. He's going to give you J.J. and Justin Reed and 14 picks, and oh, it's so funny. Uh, it's like, okay, man, like, those, those jokes are boring and lame at this point. Like, chill out. Um, those are our, that's like our uh, our empty stadium jokes. That's what that's that's what we that's yeah, dude. What we get. It's like, oh my god, like uh, we get it. Okay, he made a one bad move. Cru- crucify him. Um, so yeah, so I, I feel really good about this team. Um, what what I mean, Deshaun's the best quarterback in the AFC South. Are we in full agreement on that? Okay. Oh yeah. Well, except for when Philip Rivers plays the Jaguars, then he's the best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, it might be whoever uh, – it might change every week, whoever's playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> that uh, guy is the best quarterback in the league. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I guess, looking at the AFC South, do you guys see a scenario where the Jacksonville Jaguars can compete? Compete? Yeah, I uh, definitely think they can be competitive. I absolutely think they can be competitive. Now, uh, do I see them winning the division? No. Uh, but, again, we didn't see them winning the division in, in 2017. Um, and I, and as much as I cannot stand to agree with Colin Coward, I try to do it as little as possible. That was a perfect storm for the Jaguars. Everything went right that needed to go right in, in that specific moment. And unfortunately, they came just a few minutes and a, and a really, really bad call away from going to the Super Bowl. And then who knows what would have happened once they got in that position. But they can definitely be competitive. I'm somewhere a little lower on the totem pole. As far as wins as Jay, I'm somewhere between four and six. Um, and just to give you a little insider information, in Biloxi, Jay, right, it's it's three and thirteen, I think. So if you want to win a little money, that's a little. <laughs> you might want to hammer the over on that. But um, I, I I definitely think they can be competitive. Now they might be playing from behind quite a bit because they do have a very young defense that's going to have to learn very very quickly. I love the addition of Joe Schobert. I think that's a very underrated thing that people aren't a lot of, especially some Jags fans are writing it off. Oh, we played for the Browns. Like, listen, this guy's a pro bowl caliber player. He's, he's excellent. And we talk about this consistently. 
it gets Miles Jack out of the Mike linebacker position back to where he's more comfortable. So that being said, they can definitely be competitive. Um, but as far as competing to win the division, we're probably a, a little bit away from that. Your thoughts, uh, James? Yeah, I mean, they could be a competitive team, you know, and at best I think they could be a team in December that is, you know, a team that's in the running for a wild card spot. Uh, but one of those teams at the same time, you know, we're thinking like, can the Jaguars actually do this? And I think when you look at their schedule, what what kind of is scary about a schedule is at the end is it's brutal. Um, and I've always said that Gardner Minshew, we're going to find out who Gardner Minshew is at the end of this schedule. That'll tell you if he's a franchise quarterback because he plays like four of the top nine defenses in football. I think it's like uh, the Vikings is one, uh, the Bears is one. Uh, they play the Titans. Ravens. Yeah, the Ravens, the Titans, who always play them close. And we all know, as Phil just said, the Ravens are a team that, like, you know, you could argue is probably top three in the league. That's not going to be easy either. So, you know, that being said, uh, you know, that, that month of December is going to be brutal for them. But if they can if they can win a few games in December now, I think you could call that, and, and it leads to seven or eight wins, that is. I think you can call this season a success from that perspective. But to, I don't think they'll make the playoffs or anything like that. But I do think, you know, at best, they can be competing for a wild card spot when it's all said and done. Okay, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you guys a question, and I'm gonna count to three, and I want to hear your answers at the same time, just to see what what happens. So, AFC South winner in 2020 will be one, two, three. The Colts, Titans. Okay, interesting. Okay, uh, I was the Titans. I was with the Titans. Um, I actually said I didn't believe in um, AFC uh, roundup that we did AFC South. Uh, but I don't know. I'm starting to get this sneaky feeling about what the Colts could do. You know, they they always like you said they got that offensive line, and Jonathan Taylor scares the living daylights out of me. Like I think the Jets should have drafted him. I think he's going to run all over the league. To be honest with you, so I, I think you know they probably you know they have the tools at least in place to win the AFC South. We'll see though. Yeah, they. I mean, top five offensive line. Uh, you know, Jonathan Taylor is a a beast. You also add the fact that they also have Marlon Mack. Um, and then they upgraded a quarterback. Whether people believe it or not, they upgraded a quarterback. Jacoby Brissett was basically just a guy back there. Uh, and he's Phillip is playing with the best offensive line he's had in the last five years. Um, so, you know, you have to wonder. I, the Colts scare the living shit out of me, I'll be honest. I, I, I don't I, – Matt Eberflus, to me, is like the scariest defensive coordinator in the league. I don't care about, like, the talent. It's more of the scheme and the way he's able to, to disguise things. Deshaun, he confuses the hell out of Deshaun twice a year, and Deshaun just looks like a normal human being on Sunday. Um, and so, yeah, I think the Colts have a really good team. I, I think they have a good chance. I'm not buying the Titans. I, I just I don't something about the Titans. I just can't see Derrick Henry replicating what he did last year, and I think that's a, I think that's a lot to ask of a running back to be able to do back-to-back years. Um but I think Deshaun is just enough of a reason for me to believe that the Texans should be able to win the AFC South. Um, let, me, let me ask you now. You said you've, you've spoken with uh, a couple of people from the other teams. Are now that we, you know, since we have two representatives from two different teams, are the Titans are the most hated team in the division for, by everybody, right? No. It, it's, is it? No? Is it no. the Colts for y'all? We fucking hate Or is it us? Colts. 
Oh, <laughs> oh they can't be us. We suck. No, no. <laughs> we actually, no, we, we can't stand the Colts. And you got to also remember, like, the Titans took our culture. They took our team. They took our colors. They yeah. took, and they still, uh, it's still <laughs> that we don't like the Colts. And it's, all of it has to do with is just Peyton Manning. Uh, for us, I mean, we yeah. you know we had somewhat of a competitive team during those times uh, with Shab and we had Andre, we had Arian Foster, and we just never could get over the hump because Peyton Manning was just always so he was Peyton Manning. Um, so yeah, the the Colts are are probably the most hated. I, I think if you ask older people in Houston, it'll be the Titans um, because they're tied to the Oilers. Um, but I, if you ask anybody else, you know, under thirty five, it's going to be the Colts. Yeah, I know for us it's always been the Titans. You know, when you look back to 99 and you go 14-2 and two, and then you meet that team again and you have Jeff Fisher saying uh, at the time, uh, God, I can't even remember the name of the stadium at the time, Jay. It was so long ago now at this point. He's saying that that was their third or, you know, their second home. And, you know, you, you look back at that and how routinely the Titans beat us. It's, it's definitely always been Tennessee for us. But the Colts are right there. But, but also I never felt like we were competitive with Peyton when, when he was around. Yeah. And, you know, we, we did get a win every once in a while. Um, of course, there's that big win, Jay, you know, the one where Fred Taylor and Mojo ran wild. That's, you know, but we were like 5-11, and 11, you know. <laughs> that game didn't matter. That, yeah, but that game, that game, right. But that game didn't matter, and ultimately the Colts won the Super Bowl that year. So I never felt like we were, we were ever legitimately competitive with Peyton and the Colts. I guess that's why the Titans will be that team for me. I think during yeah, the Peyton Manning era, good. How bad we we just struggle against the Titans. You know, it's just annoying at this point. Um, and I mean, I've done the research. We haven't won in Tennessee, aka N- Nissan Field. I guess it, you know, it might have changed over time, whatever the name of it is. But it's Nissan Field now. We haven't won there since 2013. So that shows you just how long lasting the struggles are against the Titans and. I guess, like, for us, the Texans are just kind of the newest team to the division. You know, for me and Phil's timeline, the Texans haven't been around for much of the uh, the rivalry, if you will, in the AFC South. So, I mean, while they are, you know, you know, most people in, in the AFC South or Jazz fans would say they are the Titans or, I mean, the Texans are a little bit annoying to the Jacksonville Jaguars, it doesn't compete with the rivalry they've had with the Titans dating back to like Phil said ninety nine and, and so on and so forth. No, that makes sense. I think I think with during the Peyton Manning era, I believe I, I'm I don't remember the exact number, but I think we were eighteen or uh, seventeen and one or sixteen and two. It was something just just embarrassing. Um, and when you think of Schaub and Andre and Arian and we only won two, it's just like, really, that's it. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, well, James, Phil, thank you guys so much for the time today. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, before we go, Phil, let's say our goodbyes. Tell them again where they can find you, where they can listen to you, uh, and where they can also find uh, your – well, actually, hold on. Phil, tell me something funny. Make us laugh. I need a smile. You're muted. That didn't work. I mean, it's kind of funny because you're talking <laughs> and we can't hear you. I don't we know are, if you meant uh, to do that. So but I can say – there's no filter here, I'm assuming, since it's unfiltered. I there can say whatever is, I want. There is no filter. All right. Uh, I'll go. This is one of my favorites. Um, so uh, there was. I read an interview uh, the other day uh, that Justin Bieber did. He feels like he is this generation's Kurt Cobain. And uh, let's hope so, right? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty good. 
That's pretty good. The, the Justin Bieber saying he was Kurt Cobain could have been the punchline as well. So yep. uh, you, you would have had you would have had multiple outs there. Uh, Phil, why don't you send us off? Kind of tell us where we can find you, where they can find your comedy, where they can find your pop culture podcast. Uh, where they can find your uh, How to Clean uh, podcast, whatever else you may be doing that we don't know about, uh, just let us know. Yeah, guys, Phil the Filipino for pretty much everything. Super easy to remember. Uh, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. That's Instagram, Twitter. Uh, You can find, of course, you can tweet the uh, the podcast at Believe in Jags Pod. And, uh, yeah, we just really, really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for, for having us on. Uh, as far as the the way for a podcast goes, again, if you like pop, uh, pop culture, anime, movies, video games, everything in between, we cover all of that. And, uh, yeah, just really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, absolutely. James? Yep, you can find me at sportsgrind underscore Don on Twitter, uh, jaguarswire.usatoday.com, of course, for the site. Uh, like Phil said, at Believe in the Jags Pod is where you can follow us in terms of Twitter. And, uh, yeah, we're going to have plenty of content, you know, guests and, and what have you leading up into the season and even in the season. But, uh, yeah, just for the latest in training camp news and uh, the latest in training camp content for your ears as well with the podcast, uh, feel free to tune in to us as we'll be watching things closely. And, uh, you know, hoping for a, a better season than at least a lot of people in Vegas are giving us credit for. So, yeah, that's where you can find all our stuff at. I, I do want to give you, you guys a shout-out here really quick because this, when I was checking out y'all's Twitter, this Johnson's in the backfield T-shirt is incredible. Jay, I don't know if you've seen it. It's like a, a spin on Angels in the outfield. It is an inc- I'm not going to buy it, obviously, but <laughs> if you are a Texans fan, man, this is that thing is awesome. I just had to give you guys props for that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Angels in the outfield was like one of my favorite movies growing up, and uh, – and I, I just thought, like, they keep referencing it now, too, in uh, press conferences. And I was, I, we made it a month ago, and now it's the thing that's happening in press conferences. Dushan said it. Bill O'Brien said it. Uh, our OC said it. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. So really appreciate awesome. that. Thank you so much. Yeah, I love that shirt. I think it's super dope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just sent it to you on Twitter so you can check it out. It's great. Uh, awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, we will not be strangers. Uh, we will talk throughout the season. And, um, uh, again, I really appreciate you guys coming on. Absolutely. Man. We'll have to get you on Believe in the Jags and you and, and your co-host as well. So, yeah, again, thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah, no problem at all. Appreciate you uh, reaching out. And, yeah, man, we'll definitely keep tabs in the season. Cool. That sounds great. You guys have a good rest of your weekend. You too. Got a Got a got a mean deep. It's gotta run through your veins, gotta breathe this. You can't just run it right now, you gotta need this. Got a mean deep, got a got a mean deep. Don't hurry, stop it one second, I say blues on parade. All right, guys, uh, welcome to our second part of our AFC South preview. We are going to be talking about the Tennessee Titans, uh, and we are going to be. Once again, with the Sobros Network, uh, as we did last year, first of all, pandemic, crazy life, everything's different, but we have football. Outside of that, how are you doing, brother? I'm holding up, man. I am awake and moving, and I feel like in 2020, that counts for something, right? Absolutely. No, I would agree. And, and Stoney, do you mind letting them know uh, kind of where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at Sobros Network on all major social media platforms. You can follow me personally at Stony Keeley. All of our latest work is at SobrosNetwork.com. And uh, if you if you have a, a deeper interest in the Tennessee Titans, we do a weekly Titans podcast called the Unofficial Titans Podcast. 
at Titans Pod on Twitter, and we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you take in your shows, we're there. Fantastic. All right, so Tennessee Titans had, I would say, somewhat of an interesting offseason, in my opinion. Okay. Um, I think they've had a good offseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think some Texans fans would say there were some moves that were made that benefit the Texans long term. Uh, and okay. I think that would be interesting to have a conversation about. So let's first start with the big contract given to Ryan Tannehill. So Ryan Tannehill last season came in, really kind of changed the dynamic of your offense. Um, Absolutely. Played extremely well. Um, but, you know, also a lot of that has to do with the fact that Derrick Henry, King Henry, is really the offense. Um, how are you guys feeling over at Sobros about the, the, the Tannehill contract? I mean, look, nowadays these contracts are two, three years. There's always an out. I think he's like the ninth paced, uh, highest paid quarterback now. I mean, so it's not like record-breaking. But if you would have told me before he was traded to the Titans that a team signed Ryan Tannehill to a $117 million deal, we all probably <laughs> would have a laugh at that. Um, yeah, fair enough. Fair and enough. here, though, in Miami, you know, Miami was Miami, but he came over here. Vrabel got the most out of him. Uh, you know, good offensive line, great run game. You guys surrounded him with weapons. Corey Davis hasn't really developed the way you'd like, but he's still here and he's developing. Adam Humphreys showed up at times, but then you have that ph- phenomenal wide receiver. In my opinion, I think this year will be the year where people really start to pay attention to A.J. Brown. Um, I think I don't think people realize how good he actually is, how good of a route runner he is. Um, A.J. Brown is a, a force to be reckoned with. So talk to me a little bit about the Ryan Tannehill deal and kind of your thoughts on it. I absolutely loved it. Okay. It's, it's kind of front-loaded in a way that if the team needs to get out of it after year two, they can do so without taking too much punishment on it. But I love, I love Ryan Tannehill and what he brings to this offense. I think he's the perfect guy for it. He has a little bit of that dual-threat type of athleticism that we liked in Marcus Mariota that showed that he could be lethal with his legs at times too, specifically the regular season game against the Kansas City Chiefs when he's extending drives by running for these gutsy first downs and running for touchdowns, just taking these brutal hits, just stuff that the team really rallied behind. And I think that's another quality that he possesses that Mariota didn't. And it's that decisiveness, that leadership, the – the presence of a a real field general in the offense. He had uh, pretty good accuracy uh, in, um, in the Titans offense a season ago. And I think those are, those are the things that are encouraging about this deal because you feel like you finally found the quarterback that is perfect for this system that can come in and do what he has to do to win. But the burden of scoring points isn't going to be solely placed on his shoulders because of Derrick Henry. And I think that relationship is mutually beneficial because if the Titans get the passing game going, like you said, all the weapons they have around them, and they they don't have to lean on Henry, that keeps him fresh for later in the season, and vice versa, if Derrick Henry's having success in the ground game, then you don't have to ask your quarterback and receivers to do a whole lot. So I think that that contract really – a lot of people talk about the Derrick Henry deal, but I think the Tannehill contract specifically, in my opinion, was an absolute home run. And, yes, I realize that sounds absolutely crazy when we're talking about Ryan Tannehill. Okay. Okay. I think it's all – I think those are all good points. Look, when you have a quarterback that fits your offense, that you trust, and is capable of playing at the level that he did last year, I don't really see how – 
uh, you can't reward him with a contract like that because there would have been another team that would have been willing to do so. Um, so you have to keep that guy in camp. You have to, you know, keep building. It was his first first season. Um, he's only probably going to get better, you would hope. Um, yeah, and I think the criticism is ev- everyone says that, well, 2019 was sort of the perfect storm of, of all of these good things happening for Ryan Tannehill that led to such success. Like he was the highest rated passer in the NFL and uh, had, you know, I don't, I can't remember off the top of my head if it was a career completion percentage or not, but it was pretty, pretty good for Ryan Tannehill. And the issue that I would take with that is that Tannehill doesn't have to be perfect like he was in 2019 again to make this offense go because I do think that the offense as a whole gets better through experience, another training camp together, adding a a couple of pieces here and there. Um, I don't think he has to be that guy again for them to be successful. I think that's fair. No, I think that's fair, especially with bringing back back Derrick Henry. So, I mean, that's really a perfect segue. So, you know, I I think at this point – it, it's unfair to say another running back is the best running back in the league. And, and, and maybe, maybe there is a more skilled running back. Maybe there is a, you know, a shiftier running back. Maybe you like a, another type of running back better. But when you talk about what Derrick Henry brings to the Tennessee Titans, there isn't another running back in the league that brings what he brings to the Tennessee Titans. And when you look at that deal, while – Sure, it's a lot of money. Is it really that much? I mean, it's another one of those situations where after two years you guys can get out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's really technically like a three-year deal. And yeah. if he makes it three years and is doing what he's doing, that contract is – you're pretty much paying Derek. In my opinion, you're pay, paying Derek Henry for what he has done so far. I think so that's – I think that's that's absolutely fair to say. I think they wanted to to take care of him because another dynamic too throughout this entire process, he wasn't a squeaky wheel. You know, he said all along, "I want to stay in Tennessee." He wants to play for the Titans, and they made that happen for him. He was rewarded for what he's done, but he gets the big contract, so he gets to stay in town. And to your point, the way I would differentiate it is maybe. Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley are the better football players, but if you're talking about the pure traditional running back and, you know, the style that used to be so prevalent in the NFL, you look at that style, I don't think there is another running back in the league that touches Derrick Henry. And in that sense, I think I would call him the best pure running back in the NFL. Yeah, I think it's really hard to say. Like, I don't I, like. I love Saquon Barkley. Um, I think he's an extremely talented running back. But when you look at the team, what he does is not. It's not resulting in wins. Fair enough. Yeah. What Derrick Henry does, it does result in wins. Now, sure, take away Derrick Henry, you know, and then or 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 let a team get up on you quite a bit, then. You know, then you have to start to wonder what else this offense will look like. But I think it's funny because. First year playing together, first year with Ryan Tannehill, first year with A.J. Brown, obviously a beast in tight end of Jonu Smith um, or potential beast. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of things pointing in the direction that the Tennessee Titans could almost replicate what they did success-wise last year, but if they have to do it differently, they are in a position where they can. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I think this is as deep an offense as the Titans may have ever seen. Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, 
But there is a part of the team that I do have concerns with, and I know you pretty well, so I would assume that there's some concerns on your side too. On the defensive side of the ball, sure. losing Jarrell Casey won, who, in my opinion, outside of J.J. Watt, was the best defensive end in the AFC South for the last eight years. Um, it goes J.J., then it goes Jarrell Casey, in my opinion. And that's just from watching film. Jarrell Casey gets zero love around the league. He's a dirty guy who does his job and does it extremely well. And where do you end up going? Uh, Denver, right? Denver for a seventh-round draft pick. Which is crazy. Um, He is older. Uh, He is older, and and he wanted to get out, uh, or didn't want to get out. (laughs) They wanted him out. But um, either way, so losing Casey, I think it's big. You do have Jeffrey Simmons. Um, I think you guys also lost um, Cameron Wake. Was it Cameron Wake? Cameron Um, Wake and uh, Austin Johnson. And Austin Johnson. Um, And then you lost Logan Ryan in the secondary. You obviously have that beast of a uh, free safety in the back, uh, Kevin Bayard. But when I look at the secondary, that's probably, like, even though we you guys lost Casey, I think Simmons I think Simmons, Simmons was my second favorite player in the draft last year. I, I don't think people realize how good he will be. But the secondary is somewhat questionable, in my opinion. What are your thoughts on the secondary and just the defense as a whole? Well, I, I think – at the time Jeffrey Simmons was drafted back in 2019, it was kind of a head-scratcher. Now that you see a, an offseason later and they're trading Jarrell Casey, it kind of makes the vision behind that pick a little bit clearer. And John Robinson, general manager of the Titans, has, has kind of a, a knack for getting out of things before things get too bad. And I think Jarrell Casey is absolutely – one of the most underrated defensive linemen in the NFL of the last decade. I think he still has plenty of gas in the tank, and the Denver Broncos are getting a guy that's now extra motivated to perform well. So I think I think he'll do well for the Broncos, but to me this was just about getting rid of some of that cash and getting rid of that, that contract and going with a guy that is super talented in Big Jeff is what we call him around Nashville, Big Jeff. Jeffrey Simmons becoming that next superstar defensive lineman for the Titans. And they also still have Daquan Jones, who I think has been pretty consistent. He, he's kind of like Casey, almost like a Jarrell Casey light in the sense that he does a lot of the dirty, gritty stuff really well and really reliably, but he doesn't ever get the, the big stats that really, or the big highlights that really pop off when you're watching the film. So I think you know, the, the defensive line, I think the belief is we've still got these two core guys and there's not going to be a whole lot of a, a trade-off between Casey and Simmons. The other position is, is going to be a battle between some pretty unproven guys, um, Isaiah Mack and Laurel Murchison, the draft pick, who plays similarly to Casey, but it's going to be uh, interesting to see how that defensive line shakes up. But the uh, the secondary is where I I actually feel pretty confident because you're getting Malcolm Butler back and healthy. Adoree Jackson I feel like has the potential to develop into one of the top corners in the league. You draft Christian Fulton uh, out of LSU in the second round, which to me was an absolute steal. Likely going to come in, and if I had to guess now, I think he's going to be your slot corner taking over for Logan Ryan. They they signed Jonathan Joseph. And then at, at safety, they do have Kevin Byard, Kenny Vaccaro behind them, two talented young guys in Amani Hooker and Kevin Byard, or I'm sorry, and um, Dane Crookshank. So I feel like the talent is there. It's just a matter of 
replacing Logan Ryan's leadership because, man, if you watch watch the Kansas City, the AFC Championship game again, Logan Ryan was getting beat. Sammy Watkins got behind him by like five yards for a, a bomb touchdown. It was pretty obvious that Logan Ryan had lost a step a little bit, and I think that's why he's trying to rebrand himself as a safety for whichever team signs him next. But what he brought to the team was the experience and the leadership, and I think you're going to have to see somebody like Kevin Byard step up. But they do. Man, I think this is going to be actually probably the strength of the defense again. Okay. So let's start first with Malcolm Butler. Um, You know, I think Malcolm Butler, just on film from what I've seen when we've played you guys, um, doesn't look to be the player that we saw in New England. The guy that was winning Super Bowls. <laughs> yeah, not necessarily that. I just when when you look at the film, he just looks different. He doesn't look as physical. He doesn't look like he's uh, able to jump the the the, uh, the route as quick as he used to. He just doesn't look as engaged. Maybe that's just me. Um, we he was also going against DeAndre Hopkins, so you know a little bit of a different um, situation. And, and that's then when a I, mismatch for for Butler, by the way. That's an absolute mismatch. And it's a mismatch for almost any corner in the league. Um, so then then when I look at a Dory. Quick, able to play man, but just gets beat often. His ball skills didn't really translate to the NFL like we quite like we thought they would either. Um, it's a guy that has taken a little more time to develop, um, but I think I think that potential is there. Like, yes, you're right, man. Like, there are some some pretty bad exposures. On, on tape, but there's a lot of missed assignments in that Titans defense, too, that I think, uh, to be fair to him, I'm not going to say it's it's not his fault at all. There are some pretty bad plays, but there there were also some pretty pretty ugly plays that were the result of missed assignments, the safeties not being where they were supposed to be, and uh, breakdowns in coverage and stuff like that, too. So I think it's a I, I'm not as concerned as that about that as uh, others may be. Okay, okay. Um, so let's talk about your draft. Uh, take me through at least the first three rounds, kind of your thoughts on the draft, and then kind of where you see them being able to uh, fit in and make an impact this year. As It's a, it's a rough year for rookies. Uh, Bill sure, O'Brien sure. saying for a long time that this is a veteran year, um, and that's why he, he kind of traded his picks for next year. Um as far as like in during the draft, during draft day, um, and just coming in with a small draft class, uh, are there expectations for the draft class for the Tennessee Titans? Kind of, you know, what are you excited about? And then also, last thing, I guess before we get into that, uh, losing um, Conklin, does that have Titans fans somewhat concerned? Not that I've noticed at all. Uh, and Jack Conklin is a great right tackle. I think he's going to make that that Browns offensive line a, a pretty formidable unit. But the Titans had Dennis Kelly waiting in the wings, uh, a guy that they trust. I think they like him in that sort of six-man role where he can come in wherever he needs to, to play and play well without you know having a complete breakdown on the offensive line. So I think he's Likely the incumbent. I figure week one, Dennis Kelly's going to be the starter at right tackle, and I think the Titans are going to be perfectly happy with that. I think the Titans fans would be perfectly happy with that as well. But to say it's not a competition at all would be, 
I don't think that would be accurate because Isaiah Wilson is a big kid. They draft in the first round out of Georgia, and he looks like the pure road-grading right tackle, kind of similar to what Jack Conklin was. Like the in, in, a, in an offense that is predicated on the run game and getting Derrick Henry going, getting a tackle like Wilson, man, I, I, it seems like regardless of who starts the season, it's only a matter of time before this kid gets in and sees some meaningful action. Okay, okay. All right, so let's talk about the draft class. Let's go through at least the first three rounds. Tell me about – actually, just tell me three guys that you're excited about that you think can have an impact this season. I, I think Wilson can have an impact right away, and I think if he is the starting right tackle, that does free up Dennis Kelly to be more of a utility player. I mean, the the guy caught a touchdown in the AFC Championship. They They use him in a lot of different ways. Then in the second round, you get Christian Fulton, who, you know, this this team was exposed by Kansas City in the AFC Championship game for its lack of speed in the secondary, and they needed to get younger at the position. As much as I like Logan Ryan, I think he was a liability in some games, and they needed to get that that youth, that speed, that athleticism, and I think he's a corner that a lot of Titans fans are really excited about. And then finally, I would mention Darrington Evans, the running back out of App State that they drafted in the in the third round. This is a guy that looks like he has the skill set. What we thought we were going to get in Deion Lewis that didn't pan out, it looks like Darrington Evans can do to the to the 10th degree. You know, this this kid is fast. He's a playmaker. They might have him returning kicks, returning punts. He looks like the perfect complement to what Derrick Henry is, and I think he's going to be a valuable piece in this offense. You're going to see him make some plays this season. Okay. All right. Uh, let's talk about Mike Vrabel. Um, you know, mixed reviews here in Houston before he left. You know, not by his own accord, though. You know, as D.C., uh, that was the year we had the – Second most injuries in NFL history, most cool. of it on the defensive line. Uh, I mean, on the defense, uh, it didn't really seem to, you know, set the world on fire when it came to being the DC. And then, um, you know, but prior to that, great linebacker coach got the most out of Jadavian Clowney. Um, what are your thoughts on Mike Vrabel at this point? And I believe he's going to be your DC this year, correct? Well, don't ask him that because he'll dance all the way around it and won't just admit that he's going to be calling the plays on defense, but. Mike Vrabel's going to be calling the plays on defense this season. As far as his his position as the head coach, I, I like him. I think he is a uh, leader of men. I think the players buy into him. I think he can relate to them on a, on a level that not a lot of people can. And I think he has the, um, he has the, uh, the savvy to understand um, when to change course, when not to change course. And along with general manager John Robinson, I think they're they're really good in that regard and, and have built a roster that is pretty pretty deep and pretty talented, which is something that, that wasn't the case before these two paired up in town. Okay. Jadavian Clowney, the, the elephant in the room. Yeah. The guy that everybody wants in Tennessee. Sure. And everybody in Houston – that everybody wants in Houston back for at least one year. Um, me specifically, uh, Clowney was my favorite defensive player for the last four years prior to him going to Seattle. Um, there's been conversations between Bill O'Brien and Jadavian Clowney. Um, is, uh, do you know anything? Is he going to Tennessee? Do you guys want him in Tennessee? Is he going to play? Like, Where is it? I know Vrabel is ducking it as much as possible. Uh, he's almost asked at every press conference, but – 
Um, I mean, what are the thoughts on adding Jadavian Clowney? There are there's definite interest there from the Titans, and and we've heard John Robinson comment on it, saying we're not going to sign anybody until they pass our team physical, and that seems to be the holding pattern, at least on the Titans side of things. But I know there's interest there. It, you're right. It's something that Mike Vrabel has been asked about ad nauseum this offseason, uh, clowny watch ensuing, as, as we say around Nashville, and just waiting every day to, to log on to see the news that he's signed somewhere. The rumors out this week that he's wanting 15 mil, and if that's the case, man, I don't know what the Titans are waiting for uh, because I, I look at this as – the missing piece on the Titans' defense. They they don't have a guy that can affect games the way that he can. And I think if you add him to to that defensive front, I think you've got you've got some teeth on that unit that you you haven't had in a long time. I definitely agree. I definitely agree. All right, so let's talk a little bit about these Houston Texans. Uh, let's start with the offseason where everybody got to laugh at us. It seems like everybody still is laughing at us. They all think that we're just this joke of a team. Um, you know, we're, we're, I think yesterday, USA Today came out, we're expected to only win seven games. Mm. Everybody's everybody's laughing at the Houston Texans. Um, it's kind of getting boring at this point. It's almost kind of lame, to be honest with you, some of these jokes that people are cracking. We're three months into it. But um, we have Deshaun Watson, so I don't really know – how we're going to go 7-9 to nine unless he gets hurt. What, yeah, I mean, best quarterback in the AFC South. Yeah, I don't think it's really debatable. Um, no. And so what are, the, what, are, what are Titans fans' feelings, and what are the Sobros? What are you guys feeling about the Houston Texans and the 2020 season? Well, I, I think um, my joke all along has just been, I hope, I hope the Texans never fire Bill O'Brien. But I think you're right to a certain extent, like, Man, three months now, like, the the shines wore off that joke. Y'all need to table that one, you know, set it aside for if Bill O'Brien trades Deshaun Watson for a washing machine next offseason or something like that, you know. Like, let's let's lay off that and, and realize that they do have uh, one of the most talented young quarterbacks in the entire league. Forget about the, the AFC South. The entire league, Deshaun Watson is one of the best young quarterbacks out there right now, and I think, you know, I, I don't know if people just look at the DeAndre Hopkins trade and just equate that to, oh, this franchise sucks, they're so stupid, what are they doing, that it just kind of puts those blinders up, they don't look at anything else, but this is still a good roster that, um, you know, the Titans haven't been able to overcome in uh, in recent seasons, so I don't know... I don't know why the expectation is that this this team is just going to hit rock bottom because I still think this is going to be a three-team competition for the AFC South title in 2020. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I mean, that's kind of my expectation. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know what it is about the Titans for me that, like, I just don't see Derek Henry. Like, it's just going to be so hard for him to replicate. And that's that's the only thing that's holding me back from the Titans is – I I just don't know how and if he he could because he's that talented he's, yeah. he's that good to be able to do it you just don't normally see an offense be able to have that kind of year behind, with with a running back and then replicate that again and that's yeah. 
that's my only reserve when it comes to the Tennessee Titans is, you know, I mean, we, we really didn't have a problem stopping uh, Derrick Henry in our first game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was his worst game of the season was, was when we played him. And our defense is not – it was not very good. Um, so, I don't know. That's – that's my only concern with the Tennessee Titans is how is Derrick Henry going to be able to replicate the season that he had last year? Well, it's like Tannehill, like I said earlier. Like I, I don't think he has to be that good to do it again because I think this offense as a whole, Art Smith as as an offensive coordinator, as a play caller, pretty creative guy. They they like to, to shift and motion around and try all this stuff. The, the, the trick defenses before the ball's even snapped. And I, I think adding these weapons, adding guys like Darrington Evans, Corey Davis, no, he hasn't really panned out just yet. He had some toe injuries that kind of kept him from having that what was supposed to be his breakout season in 2019. But he's still a pretty good receiver when he's on. Adam Humphreys is back. And Jonu Smith at, at tight end, I'm happy to hear him getting some love because I do think – he can have a breakout campaign in 2020. I think there's a lot more creativity there that can uh, win games when they have to. And, and and the Titans understand that, too. They understand that they can't trot Henry out week one and, and go for, you know, 30 to 40 carries a game uh, all season and, and have him still ready for a playoff run. So I think I think that's the, um, the brain trust and, and devising game plans and the offensive scheme and all that. Uh, I, I think that's what kind of – makes me think like there's there's a way around it and I think trusting in that group that that did it um during the regular season last year man I I don't know I think um I think they'll be all right okay so AFC championship game last year I mean I don't think anybody saw the Titans go into the AFC championship they did Baltimore didn't Uh, Baltimore didn't uh New England didn't um so you know you guys had an incredible season uh is it are expectations AFC Championship again this year for most fans? I don't know that anybody's – I think it's hard because there there's a sect of Titans fans that just believes it's Super Bowl or bust. Like we've got – the window is open. Uh, we're not expecting Tannehill and Derrick Henry to do what they did in 2019 for the next five years. So I think there is this sense of urgency like, hey, we got these guys uh, – we got all the ingredients to make a run. We have to do it in 2020. If they don't reach the Super Bowl, it's a disappointment. For me personally, I think win the AFC South. That's that's the goal to me. I'm not going to be disappointed if they don't make the Super Bowl. But I think if if they don't win the AFC South and get a home game in the playoffs, I think that will be a definitive step back in the uh, Mike Rabel era. So let me ask you this. If you had to pick a team – to win the AFC South this year, who who would you pick? No bias, just just based on what you what you feel about the AFC South. Who would you pick to win? I, I really would pick the Titans to win. Okay, it. okay. fair, fair. Uh, thoughts on the Colts? I like the Colts. I, I think I think Philip Rivers has perennially been one of the mo- more underrated quarterbacks in the league. Um, I just don't know. How's it all going to mesh together? And they, they add Jonathan Taylor behind a, an, an offensive line that's one of the best in the league. Top five, uh, Mar- at least. What's that? Top five, at least. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think they've got some good pieces on defense. I think 
Um, all three of these teams, you talk about the Colts, Titans, and the Texans, they're all right there where you can see the potential, but it's just there's still question marks about each team. And I think for the, for the Colts, um, how is Phillip Rivers going to, going to mesh in the offense? Uh, he's a guy you, you trust, the veteran presence, but I don't know how much he still has left. And I, I think, they're, I think the, um, the boys in Vegas have the Colts listed as the favorites in the AFC South right now, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Yeah, the, the Colts scare the shit out of me, I'll be honest. Yeah? Uh, they do. Um, Phillip Rivers has not played behind a good offensive line for four years straight. I think last year and the year before, he was the second most hit quarterback, and like last year, he was first most pressured. Yeah. Um, and when I look at the coaching staff, I think they have the best coaching staff in the AFC South. I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that, man. I think you're, you're seeing in Philly after that Super Bowl uh, the presence that Frank Reich really had on that right. Super Bowl run for the Eagles. Yeah, exactly. And so I think their defense – Matt Eberflus as a defensive coordinator, um, he, he's just very good. Uh, whether it's, you know, disguising schemes and defensives, um, he confuses the hell out of Deshaun every time we play him. It uh, doesn't matter what he's doing. Deshaun is just rattled every time he plays the Colts. Um, you know, they added DeForest Buckner. Um, yeah. Area's looking like it has some pieces, some young pieces still, a couple that are needed. Uh, but the defensive line looks like it could be formidable. Um, the, their linebacking core with Darius Leonard and Anthony Walker, I, I just, I don't know, something, something, Malik Hooker still hasn't popped since he's been drafted. Is this the year yeah. that he, um, I don't know. Something about the Colts just scare me, and I wouldn't be surprised if they were one of the if they were if they ended up taking this this AFC South. Yeah, and really, I don't think they were as bad as their record would dictate in 2019 either. I mean, they were still a pretty tough, scrappy team, and I think that sort of mentality is kind of what's um, what makes them intimidating because the way that they um, the way that they've built that roster, like you're right, it's almost like a, a sleeping giant to a certain extent because you know the talent's there, and it, if they just if it wakes up, then uh, it could could present problems. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. All right, Stony, um, thank you again. It's always nice to catch up. I don't think we should wait a year to do. <laughs> I think that uh, we should probably do this a little bit sooner. Um, Anytime, anyway. my man. Why don't you plug uh, Sobros Network, where they can follow you on social media and all that. Yeah, at Sobros Network, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, SobrosNetwork.com. All of our uh, NFL Titans coverage is up there. And then we've got the unofficial Titans podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you take in your shows, we're there. Uh, not, a, not a hard man to find. Awesome. All right. Well, I really appreciate it, Stoney. We will talk soon, and thanks for coming on, man. Really appreciate it, and good luck on the season. Anytime, my man. Likewise. Take care. When they had our backs up against the wall and said that we couldn't stand the pressure, we still got it done, man. When they said the clock was winding down and it wasn't enough time to get it done, we still got it done, man. Now it's our time to shine, it's our time to keep it 100. So we gonna go out here and show them how true we are, baby. So you better get out the way, cause we coming for it. It's all for one, and it's one for all. Let's go. Yeah, 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 yeah
Tell me, 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 tell me